tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you anything to make that call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, we'll be chatting to Johnny Luby in just a little while. A gambling support service has been launched in Cashel. We'll have some reaction to those business closures in uh, Tipperary, Argus, of course, and uh, Wellworths. And uh, Kingston's in a Tipperary town too. Uh, St. Patrick's Hospital in Cashel. What's the story? We'll chat to Tom Wood uh, later on in the programme. And of course our Friday panel will unpack the big topics of the week. So all of that and uh, much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Quick look at what's uh, making headlines uh, today to the Irish Indo. First of all, right across the newspapers today, uh, Pascal Donoghue is making the news. The headline on the Indo, Donoghue on the ropes. Public expenditure minister Pascal Donoghue fighting to save his political career as new revelations about his relationship with businessman Michael Stone pile on further pressure to the Irish Times dominated by a photograph of the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and she said she's resigning in what was an unexpected announcement I suppose at her party's first caucus meeting of the year she said she no longer had enough in the tank to do the job she went on to say I'm human politicians are human we give all we can for as long as we can and then it's time and for me it's time Uh, also on the Irish Times today um, urgent efforts are underway to rapidly reshuffle hotel capacity to create space for people seeking refuge here amid warnings of large scale homelessness and again the Pascal Donoghue story on the front of the Irish Times today to the Irish Examiner the coroner warns of dog danger after Mia's death. The mauling to death of a four-month-old baby girl by a jealous family pet has highlighted the need for extreme vigilance of dogs in the home. And that's according to the coroner in Cork. Uh, also on the examiner today, um, that story that Pat brought you during news, the retail sector already battered. And uh, battling to recover, I suppose, from the effects of the COVID pandemic uh, restrictions has been left reeling with Argus's uh, decision to pull out of the Republic completely. And, of course, they had a store here. Um, well, they they still have for now, at least, at the Clonmel Shopping Centre. Um, lastly, to the Irish Daily Mail, nowhere for refugees to go. The state has uh, run out of space for asylum seekers and some may end up homeless That's according to the government and uh, they've conceded to that in the face of the growing housing crisis. And uh, if you want to comment on any of those headlines, we'd be delighted to hear from you. That uh, text and WhatsApp, once again, 083 311 Just to remind you, you can leave us a voice note on WhatsApp as well. We're always delighted uh, to hear from you. It's time for Johnny Luby. Good morning, Johnny. Friends. How are things with you now? Oh, God, friend, thanks very much for asking. Does no nobody ask you how you are, Johnny? Is that it? 
certainly do. Did Dermot and all the crew look after you there? There were about six of them attending the table. <laughs> they were bound and bacon and the whole bloody lot. I never <laughs> see the like of it. Uh, some fella left a voucher there for, him in a, for me in a sincere thanks and the whole lot. And Dermot said, uh, and, and I'm throwing in a shot of wine as well. I said, grand bigot. He says, uh, is it a glass for yourself? I said, well, you might have been on the bottle. I said, because the missus is driving. And when I had been in Mikey Ryan's the previous week, I give them all a turn, you, you know. Do, it's like, do, yeah, it is like the, the, the pubs of Tipperary, uh, like you, you have to give them all a mention. But Cashley is a wonderful town friend for uh, restaurants flying, and flying. meals and, yeah. and all. I think that's unbelievable, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and that, but uh, I suppose we'll say I was. Look, it was a rough week weather-wise and funeral-wise, Fran, as well. Mother of God above tonight. I'll tell you, I was worse than any politician out there attending funerals. We were in Pat Carey's there last Friday. Mm. Uh, the Lord of Mercy upon Pat and met all the crew there. And then, of course, we had Jordan next door for a few minutes to uh, McCormick's. I discovered that the girl inside the counter, she's the daughter of John Egan's of Inch House. Oh, right. Oh, uh, did you ever know that? No, oh, you'd yeah. never know where you'd be. And, of course, yeah. all the Coonies came and I couldn't... Uh, 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 wonder why they all came bec- when to discover then that uh, Anya Staunton, uh, her mother is Anne Cooney from uh, Kil- Grandstown in Kilfeekle, Anya was married to Pat Carey's son. Oh. So all the Cooneys were there as well. And look, it was a, a great evening there. I met Conor Ryan Hanna from Arabon oh. Co-op. He's the big man up there and uh, a wonderful guy. And uh, then we went to uh, the Girl of the Crosses funeral dinner, sister of John Cross. She was oh, only 50, was 52 very, years old. very Probably sad news. Unbelievable, yeah. you know, and our sympathies to them all. And uh, look, friend, then uh, work filtered through in the area of uh, Golden Kilfeekle of the death of Moss Morrissey. Oh, sad, uh, yeah. A legend, landmark, gentleman. Mm. Everything that be associated with niceties is not because Moss is dead, but for the huge funeral in Kilfeekle. And uh, Moss was one of those guys that uh, never offended anybody. Mm. He was uh, a, a great man. He, he was the very same age as Carrie Atchison, and the Lord of Mercy mm. on her, and they had huge time for each other. Uh, she'd always ask when you'd meet her in Clonmel, she'd never say, how is Moss Morrissey? She'd say, how is Moss keeping? There was only one Moss, <laughs> and that was uh, Moss. And seemingly an unusual thing they say, Fran, in an old custom that uh, when they were digging the grave, that when a robin uh, lands on the grave, it is a sign of great luck for the man that's gone. Oh, and uh, a robin appeared yesterday, and again, when Father Coffey was saying a few words at the graveside uh, after Michael Michael Fitzgerald had uh, the pleasure of saying a few words, mm. he was uh, unbelievable yesterday, Councillor Michael Fitzgerald. And uh, that but Moss was, uh, look, a, a landmark, the Bridge House and Sir Olin's. Uh, even he was driving up to the day before was he, uh, he died was and he uh, yeah. I wheeled into the bridge house for the split the bucket tickets for a Kilfeekle uh, draw and uh, Moss was sitting down in the corner watching television and the fire was on and Catherine and Shawnee were absolutely brilliant to him for the last or number of years mm. and then when I was in Tip Town on, uh, maybe an hour after that collecting a few more tickets uh, I had to go into that wonderful pub The Black Sheep mm. which is actually changing its name friend to the local is now, it? I haven't yeah. been there for years yeah you? well I'll tell you a wonderful place and great old scouts mm. going in there from the town of Tipperary and surrounding mm. areas and uh, that and I wheeled into Sorolans on the way back to uh, get uh, the split the bookers finishing off there and Moss was sitting down at the side and he had a great way of of saying things, he'd say, uh, well, Johnny, how are you? 
I said, Master, there's no fear of you. I said, sitting down at the fireside. <laughs> but uh, look, the world and his mother was at the funeral uh, because Moss had attended, I'd safely say, if it is possible, I'd say the guts of a million funerals in his lifetime. But uh, look, our sympathies to the Morrissey family, Philly and Shawnee, his brothers and sisters, and uh, that. Uh, you you uh, were at Carrie Atchison's uh, funeral. That's right, yeah. I was at Carrie's funeral yesterday mm. morning, then I met Brian Atchison because he has been very good to all of us in the sporting mm. world, and uh, Carmel as well, and his uh, son and daughter. Mm. And that there, I've, uh, uh, when I see the likes of uh, Councillor Richie Malloy, I think. Mm. Richie, Come yeah. On. Yeah, coming over, shaking hands with me. Mm. I said, Mother, this fellow beside me, he said, Jesus, Johnny, he says, you're very important. He broke ranks and came over. And then who comes on then only uh, uh, John Fitzgerald, uh, uh, a brother of uh, Michael's. Uh, Michael's. Yeah. And uh, John said that Carrie was synonymous with Clan and he went to Stalos to describe her as the town's queen. Yes. He said, I always found her to be one of the most unique, helpful, and absolutely interesting characters I've ever come across in my life. And that uh, it didn't matter what political party you were. She was wonderful. But it's amazing. I heard a great story about uh, uh, Carrie there yesterday from uh, uh, the farming community. Of course, they were big into tractors mm-hmm. and every kind of a sales thing down there, cows and the whole lot. And there was some farmer, his credit rating wasn't hectic. Right. And he had been failed about six times. And somebody said, try Barlow's. So he said to Carrie, he said, look, uh, I give you an old vote. And she said, you're a great man and the whole lot. And she says, can I help you? And he said, look, he said, I'm after being knocked five or six times. He said, uh, and I want to buy a combiner. And uh, she said, look, I'll try uh, uh, Credito de Paris. They were a big, uh, they were a big uh, uh, financial company. Yes. And she was on the phone and, he, and your man, for about a minute, and your man said, by God, he says, uh, Kelly, he says, I never held a dim. Well, Mick, she says, I can tell you one thing. She said, they held the you. So it was a grand way of telling Mick that he still wasn't getting his, his uh, uh, credit. But the amazing oh, stories that you'll meet, you know, I met Tommy Flynn there from St. Michael's uh, yeah. Soccer Club and many, many more people. Friend. I met a lovely lady from Ola and she said, when they introduced me, they said, she said, you to be on that radio. She's from Ola. Mm. A Limerick woman through and through. She said, could you say the simple word, I-L-L? I said, that's ill. Yeah, she said, you'll remember it. She says, it means I love Limerick. <laughs> so I said, right, I will say it this morning. So, Frank, I've got, I've got it off my chest anyway. I love Limerick. I never <laughs> thought I'd hear Johnny Luby say that. But anyway. <laughs> and, Frank, to finish up, then we have another funeral day in, in Tipperary, dear Jim Keldens, uh, the Lord of Mercy, yeah. named Jim Clay. He was on the first kill fecal team to win a cup in 1984 with Tony Coney, Seamus Clark, Clark Tiles, and, uh, of course, uh, Pat Kelly. He had a man's shop in Tiptown for mm. years. Mm. But, uh, and Paddy Roach as well but they tell me that when they celebrated in style it wasn't really an important cup but it was just a victory and a and the thought of winning the first club cup ever for the club. So Paddy Roach was retiring and it was the last match that Paddy played in April just at the very end of the season and Paddy hung his boots up on the crossbow and they were still there for the following season <laughs> and they had to get the fire brigade to tip down to take them down they were up so high so all wonderful stories but all sympathies to the to family as well Is there something here about the businesses closing in, in Tipperary Town Johnny Wellworths and Kingston's now I know the family Kingston's family are, are, are not there anymore but, but still it's terrible isn't it too? Oh yeah Fran it's unbelievable yeah. you know that uh, I think that Wellworths I mean but they're always an, an unu- a unique uh, smell 
in beautiful oh, uh, new smell whatever. I can't describe it the, but it's always the same in, we used to call it when we were youngsters Woolworths yeah the sweets you know, the sweets they, and oh, the kind of had, that whole mix of smell yeah, yeah you're right they had yeah. everything there like and there were tremendous employers as well and it was a landmark inside in Tipperary Town you'd hear somebody be describing or asking uh, uh, where is such a thing or it's across from Wellworths yeah, or it is so. down from Wellworths or up from Wellworths you yeah, know and it was a landmark so, I suppose a landmark yeah, as well yeah. and, and uh, uh, I thanked them for the services and the whole lot and then we hear this, this morning on, on the Tip FM news there about Argos, Argos yeah. you know 580 people going at least because you had people that were uh, working uh, we'll say burning stuff there and burning stuff out warehouses and, and, warehouses and everything yeah. else you know and it's sad because 580 jobs Fran, even to create five new jobs I know it's next knee on impossible, you know. But uh, yeah. I just wonder, we'll say, uh, uh, then you hear this morning, of which we had uh, said two months ago when mm. the other people were on the radio station, say, burning all the, uh, uh, the uh, refugees or whatever, yeah. and uh, that we had said that there is a place called Stop yeah. to see can we get everything right before we burn in more. Well, we have the nowhere now for them to go. You and know? your friend, the world and its mother knew that. Yeah. You know, and then you'd say, is this government, I'm not saying they're good or bad, but are they in turmoil with what's going on again? They gave the whole week debating about Pascal O'Donoghue mm. and questions not uh, being answered. And now it is going on again next Tuesday. Yes. And here the country has far more uh, de- uh, demands out yeah. there than what we are... Well, they should uh, be talking uh, about health and housing and all of the things that are important, Johnny, I suppose, you know. Friend, isn't that... That's what they should be doing. Mm, yeah. You know, but uh, look... The questions probably should have been answered. If you have questions to answer, answer the bloody things. Well, he, he's it. going back into the doil, and, and he oh. will take questions this coming Tuesday by all the Councillor Richard Malloy was on to say he was delighted to meet you yesterday. He enjoyed the chat. <laughs> so there you go. No. He was actually he was actually going to take off his robe. But yeah, looked at all. I miss, of course, another body of yours as well. Uh, anytime I meet him, I'll always remember the day I gave him a, a size nine pair of uh, football boots to referee a match. Andy Maloney from oh, the great Andy Maloney, yeah. <laughs> and he had to go to the orthopedic surgeon or something. His feet were in turmoil. He still but holds uh, that against you, you know that, don't uh, you? Yeah, yeah. But uh, look, friend, they were, they were all uh, uh, tremendous times. And look, I, I, I'd hope to be a good man to uh, go to funerals and, and uh, that and meet the mm. people and, you know, and listen to the stories that are being told, friend. That's what it's all about, yes, isn't sir, it? Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Ireland have a special way of doing things. I met lads there from England just working in industry and construction and down. One man actually drove from Scotland, himself and the wife, from Glasgow uh, uh, the morning before that, all the way down into Northern Ireland and all the way down to the funeral. I met them there yesterday as well right. because I had I had met him on a few occasions uh, uh, in uh, London and that. But uh, I suppose, friend, to uh, go on to the GA scene, look, mm. uh, it's brilliant for Tipperary uh, to be in a, a Munster League final, right? It's it's not the hugest thing, but nevertheless, it's another uh, uh, string in the bow to uh, uh, Liam Kell and his charges that uh, you get a chance now to play again below in Parky, Ring and Cork mm. on, on Sunday. Uh, and that, are they playing Cork, Johnny, are they? 
There, yeah, yeah. Tip FM are doing the broadcast mm. and that. So, look, all he's looking for is a good experience, again, of situations like this in league finals and to do what he can, you know. Mm. And that, I suppose, uh, in Feddert on Sunday last, I was at, uh, I was there early, friend. I was there for an under-16 rugby match, Kilfeekle and Feddert. Well done to Feddert there for uh, putting a small bit of manners on us. And uh, then uh, we had uh, the Feddert ladies in rugby on the all-weather pitch. Then we had uh, uh, Feddert and Co in a tremendous game of rugby there for the third game and the fourth game of course of which maybe 1500 people came to us a county on the 21 semi-final between Boris Eilid and our champions and Mullinahoe and the South champions seemingly according to uh, JJ Kennedy who does the write-up on the Nationals under the pen name of Westside uh, JJ said that uh, the standard of hurling was absolutely magnificent and of course the conditions Frank will just show you about an all-weather pitch they just take up the rugby goalposts Frank mm. and they wheel them off. The facilities there are unbelievable. They wheel them off and yeah. then they have the other goalpost in for the hurling game because the hurling pitch would be 60 yards, give or take, uh, longer than the rugby pitch. But uh, they're putting up a new stand there at the moment and the walk-ins and the whole lot and the, all the shrubs and that are And is that grown. the way to go, that all-weather pitch? Well, Fran, it seems to be that you can play yeah. four matches in, and maybe five matches in the one day. Isn't it unbelievable? You know... Uh, they mm. can play soccer as well. There. So look, tis, it seems to be the way to go, but uh, it costs a lot of money. There's yeah. no question about it, you know, but it, it is uh, the way to go. Yeah. And of course, when, on the GA front as well, look, it's a huge weekend for the young buyers of Tipperary mm. in uh, Tullus CBS and Cashel C, uh, Community School. They're in a hearty cup semi-final. I thought that... Uh, uh, Cashel Community School could not play at Skull Reach because they had met them already in the uh, league qualification but I think the draws were done and Cashel Community School now have to play the top notches uh, at Skull Reach in a semi-final at their side that game is on in Kilmallock tomorrow at 1.30 and as I said before friend, for all the various parishes around mm. even the likes of Feddert who would be probably re- more renowned as a football club but they have two youngsters there from around the coal mine area uh, young Quinlan I think and Spillane uh, they're uh, on the Hearty Cup team and it's brilliant for that area as well and uh, for the likes of Borland and Kickhams and Cashel themselves and Rose Green and Golden and all the areas that are feeding into this tremendous nursery uh, one would say well done to the mentors and the young boys uh, that are they're following in your footsteps Johnny from what's what's, what's 1972 was it? uh, 1973 March the 11th in 73 because lots of things happened in March I got engaged no I got Jesus, what oh, don't make a mistake like that. I got married. Oh, I got married. Friend, and mentioning all of that, when I wheeled into Sir Rollins the other night after Moss's uh, uh, funeral, uh, and uh, I met a chap at the counter, I won't give his name, and I said, well, I said, uh, uh, how are you keeping on that? You know, I said, I was a big fan of your wife's. This is going back about 45 years ago. I said, I was mad about her. Hey, he said, you can still have her. He said, if you want to. <laughs> so, Brian, there's oh, every kind of God, a different man going on. Yeah. But uh, that match is on at half one in Kilmallock. And uh, anybody, I mean, the time we played a hearty cup semi-final down in Kilsheelan, Cashel, of course, are wonderful supporters of all sport. And they brought 1,500 people down to uh, uh, Kilsheelan. It was a, look, an honour for me to run out onto the field in front of the way better hurlers than myself, the path itself, the, the John Grogan's and all wonderful hurlers, Mickey Murphy, mm. uh, uh, Mickey Burns. I think his father was... A Joe, Joe Burns. Joe. Yeah, the great Joe uh, Burns. Yeah, from right, Do- yeah. Downing Street there. Yeah. yeah, and you had Tom Slattery. He was... Uh, 
Gusletries, I think, from the fellow's name. Was it Gusletry? No. No, it wasn't. From the Green there, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, the great, great family of sports. That's all a wonderful yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that in every sense of the word, Tom, Tom was teaching. Tom was teaching in Grange, wasn't in he? In Grange, years? that's yeah. right, for yeah. a long number of years. Yeah. And Tony was teaching above in Nina. That's right, that's right, yeah. And Jared yeah. is the plumber and the great musician as well, yeah. Yeah, they tell me that he's making the money. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, friend, uh, wonderful occasions. And, uh, that look, I'd love to see, uh, naturally, it would be brilliant to see Tullus uh, CBS coming through against Middleton. Uh, they, they play down in, uh, I can't think, uh, Mallow, I think it is, mm. at uh, half three. It would be wonderful to see them playing uh, and that. But, uh, look, in, if the two of them got to, a, got to a, an all-Munster hearty cup final, friend, I have no doubt it would be played inside in Simple Stadium because it would just about hold the crowd that would be going there. I suppose on the rugby front, friend, mm. uh, I know I mentioned that they had a great win and they're going well. Uh, the big thing is is that there's a, uh, a young fella playing with Leinster Young Osborne mm. is his name. He'd be actually, I think Billy of the Ship would be his granduncle. Oh, right. The is, ship bear. Is it Jason uh, is his name, is it? J- Jason, that's right. Yeah. I'll tell you, friend, you're up to date. I'll tell it. you hey, now. This fella is the you can he's the coming the new coming of Brian O'Driscoll and that is a huge thing to say. Wow. He's a fantastic player. He has everything. He has speed, agility, he has the whole bloody lot and I've no doubt he got it from Billy's side. Because uh, Billy <laughs> is very quick to open the ball and very <laughs> slow and very slow to close. So it. But uh, their father was then uh, uh, yeah. Bill Fogarty. He worked in Belly Dial for a hundred years down there. He was the security man down there and another great friend of Moss Morrissey's as well. Uh, they were all wonderful people. So the best of luck to young Osborne and his brilliant to see it. And then of course young Healy, mm. uh, Ben Healy that played his trade above in the Kilfeekan Rugby Club with Nina in underage rugby. Little did we ever think that a few years later he'd be on the uh, Scottish team our uh, panel of players it is unbelievable to think that uh, he couldn't make the Munster out half position and now he's uh, uh, going to be the out half for Scotland hey the very best of luck to him and well done to Nina Rugby Club for bringing him through uh, as a youngster he can play with Scotland due to the uh, in Greyhound terms we'd say the Dems side the mother side mm. uh, she has uh, Scottish uh, connections and of course Cashel had a huge win against Blackrock last Sunday Saturday it was huge to think that Cashel would be beating Blackrock Rock above in their own patch because Blackrock were the top club in Ireland, but they haven't met the likes, the likes of the Cashel boys. And uh, 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 well done to Cashel, and of course Clan Mill had a huge win. Well done to them, and Nina themselves had a good draw away to uh, uh, Nina to uh, Nevin. They are our three uh, top uh, senior clubs. Of course, Kilfeekle and uh, Clan William and Galbally and all of those lads are there, you know. But just to say about Galbally, years ago when we were playing rugby above on the hill, when you go down to the hill in Kilfeekle and you see the Galtie Mountains in front of you and Moss Morrissey's nine or ten horses on the right hand side Moss would often take a stroll down to a match but he'd always make sure that he was at the Galbally and the War of the Roses game between Kilfeekle and uh, Clem William and uh, this particular day Galbally scored uh, maybe a couple of wonderful tries and Kilfeekle scored some wonderful tries as well and Moss would be talking away there but next thing is the row would break out which was a certainty to have a fisty cost between 
Kilfeek and Cam William and Galbally and Master only turned around in the in the middle of the row and he said, God lads, he said it in the great sport. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about the great tries that were got or anything else. But uh, I suppose uh, the horses uh, race was on in Clanmel during the week, fair play to them, they got through it. Uh, the weather was unkind during the week, but the big one on, is on on Sunday next in Tullus, starting at one o'clock and uh, they were tremendous cared on there and mentioning horse racing, one would have to say well done to uh, young uh, Keen Quirk uh, he'd be a first cousin of uh, Dylan Quirk's the Lord Mercy on mm. Dylan he's a tremendous jockey learning his trade outside of Mandy Slattery there in Killinall fed up my glass area and uh, a wonderful jockey he's as well riding a good few winners but also to a young fella in England called uh, Billy Lucknan he has ridden something like 17 winners in the last month he's claiming 7 pounds his dad is Mark Lucknan I think Mark was from around the Holy Cross Belly Cale area went to England and uh, proven him himself a top-class trainer. The horses are running magnificent and uh, young Lucknan is a, a, a top-class man. But uh, I suppose, friend, uh, I'm just looking else. Uh, when I was in uh, Noel Ryan's the other night uh, in tip at Master's funeral, uh, who came in only Noel himself and, you know, the brothers then, Noel, Oliver and Dennis. Course, yeah. And of course, I discovered something. I was introduced to another brother, PJ, and he owns a pub called The Peelers. Oh, where? Now, it, it used to be known as Mary the Peelers. Do you ever hear anybody talking about that? I don't think so. Ah, oh, Jesus, Frank, where are you living at all? You're not as old as you, Johnny, is he? No, well, you're not too far behind me. <laughs> but wait a minute. It's not a hundred miles from Anacarty and Dunohill. It's up on the borders there, seemingly, of uh, Upper Church, Drumbane area. And he a personal invitation some night there to go up. He doesn't open until nine, and he closes at half ten or eleven o'clock uh, a couple of hours a week. So I said, PJ, I certainly will give you a... a, a uh, a good mention. So I, that's the peelers. And friend, when I get there, I'll tell you exactly where it will is. You? I will, but my phone will not put on a set nav. But uh, <laughs> I, I, would you, you give will me the get, rough coordinates of it anyway? Uh, which is the yeah, I, I will. Yeah, you, you, you do realize, by the way, Johnny, that you know, while everybody associates you with the Hearty Cup of '73, they're going to associate you from now on with February the 11th at Brewbaru in Cashel, because oh. that is going to be your big claim to fame. Friend, you won't believe this. I have nightmares over it. <laughs> I mean, what can I do apart from act a fool and clown? What else could I introduce you as uh, the man who uh, who's costing us a fortune tonight? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, for a change, I'm going to introduce you, you see, and I'm going to get my own back on you for all of the hardship you've given me over the years. But we'll have a mighty bit of crack anyway. Uh, that's and, sure. friend, inside in Billy's last night, mm. and I'd encourage many parishes out there, I picked up a, t- uh, a little uh, lovely leaflet and mm. said, Lock, Lockmore County Tipperary. The village is situated between Tullus and Templemore just off the N62 and you'd look at uh, the Apostle uh, Fortress and the Abbey Church yeah. and the Duck House and Lockmore Community Cooperative Society Limited. Uh, it's the cottage shop yeah, and tea room. Place, yeah. I'm going to bring my missus there to celebrate our... Uh, I calculate now. Forty. I hope she's at Mass, Johnny, is, is she? Cat, 43 years we're married, is it? Whoa, whoa, okay. She said... 15,422 days. <laughs> <laughs> so she's I don't blame her. I don't blame her. So, All right, Johnny, uh, look right, after yourself. Right, because and sympathies to all the uh, our people that buried the uh, people there jump in along during the last few months. Right, friends. That's for sure. Look after Thanks. yourself, Johnny. Bye bye to you. And my best to Catherine as well. Yeah, Johnny will be part of that uh, 
uh, night in concert in, in Brewbrew on the 11th of Feb. If you want to pick up some tickets for that, I think there's some left. It's 062 611 to talk to my good friends Ronan and the gang there at um, Brewbrew in Cashel. Yeah, I have no idea what he's going to do, but we'll sing songs anyway. We'll talk nonsense and all sorts. So I'll be there with my friend Gay Brazel and Michael Collins will be there and Muriel and Asher. Look, you would know what'll go on. We'll take a break back in a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Problem gambling has brought devastation to individuals and households across Ireland. We gamble, wait till till you hear this, we gamble almost €10,000 every minute which equates to about $5 billion every year in Ireland. And the fallout uh, from this is certainly considerable. Now, Sparfield FRC in Cashel operates a non-profit gambling therapy and support service that provides uh, confidential advice and uh, counselling. And Eddie Kendrick is a counsellor who is uh, working as a gambling support worker with Sparfield Family Resource Centre. And he joins me now. Eddie, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome indeed. You make a great point yourself, uh, Eddie. I was reading, you You say every one of us, we have a mini casino in our pockets now. And that's our phones. And that's part of the issue, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I suppose in the past, um, you know, when we were all growing up, it was very different. You had a cap on the time that a bookie's open and a, and a cap on what time it closed. So you're, you're gone at nine o'clock or whatever it was. Whereas now it's it's constant. So... It's in your pockets. It's 24 hours a day. It's racing in Australia. It's racing in Japan, and even beyond live, there's 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 um virtual racing. There's roulette. There's um there's all the games that you could think of in Las Vegas are literally in your pocket now, um which is very problematic for a person who is inclined to gamble. Before you know, like 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 before at nine o'clock, you're gone. You can't do any more. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, it never has to stop. What is the fallout of this, Eddie? Well, just like you mentioned there, the, the financial fallout in Ireland, you know, five billion a year, 10,000 every every minute, like that's, it's crazy. Uh, but on like on a personal level, so like, yeah, you can look at it on a social level, the financial cost of that to every person and all the families in Ireland who are, who are devastated by it. But you would have, I suppose, a, a potential at risk, 120,000 people at risk, like, you know, severely at risk, no, but like at risk gamblers is 120,000 people. And then the knock-on effect of that is, that there's about seven to nine affected others of every person who has uh, a gambling problem. So that could be family, that be family members, it could be children, um, it can be friends, you know, it can be people just as simple as, oh, will you give me 50 there, give me 20 there. So all those people are considered knock-on, you know, it's, it's money gone from somebody else. And, like, you know, you hear stories of literally people going hungry uh, just to feed the habit of gambling or family members not being able to get, to get what they need for school, for... For, for life, for sports, because of a parent or loved one's gambling. It can be a hidden problem for quite some time. I'm just thinking, unlike other addictions like alcohol or drugs whatsoever, where you see the result of it pretty much uh, immediately, but until it's a huge problem, sometimes we don't recognise that somebody is a, has a serious gambling issue. That's the thing, you know, like there's only 
roughly 5% of people who have a gambling problem will actually seek help. Um, it's not visible, you know. It's very hard for somebody to say, Jesus, that person has a, has a gambling problem because you could be sitting beside somebody on a bus, mm. you could be sitting beside them in the pub, you could be sitting inside in your sitting room and they could be gambling and you've been underwiser yeah. because people are on their smartphones all the time now. Um, with a person who, is, who, who has a drink or drug problem, it's very visible. So people mm. will try and reach out and help and say, Jesus, there's something going on here, do you want some help? And it will cause, I suppose, more visual devastation to others because people are sad uh, due to a person's drink or drugs. Whereas a gambler, nobody's aware uh, until until they are. So oftentimes the person will never actually open up about it. But they'll notice, you know, family members might notice that they're irritable or that there's, they're missing days or that they're up all night. But they won't actually see that they're actually gambling. They might just think that something is off. Um, and then, yeah, you're, you're looking at bills not being paid. You're looking at mortgages not being paid. Um, you're looking at that kind of shortfall in food and things at home. Credit cards maxed out, I Credit guess. Credit cards all maxed out completely, yeah. So things yeah. like that. And then loved ones might be saying, geez, what's going on here? But until that point, and a, and, you know, and a gambler is a very good at hiding. Yeah. It's very good at hiding. You know, a big part of gambling is lying. So, like, people just they, they have to come up with all sorts of um, mind games, really, of, in, in, in how to hide it and how to hide their gambling from other people and how to hide losses and juggling things around or making up excuses as to why there's money missing from a certain pot or whatever. Um, all those things are, are factored in then for the gambler, which is very different out of addiction. In your experience, Eddie, is there a common denominator among people who have a problem with, with gambling? Tough question, Fran. Um, there, there's a few kind of things that you'd look for. Like, I suppose a big thing that's a part of gambling problem now is cocaine and alcohol. So, like, it's, it's rare enough like you look at Quinvera, which operates a few addiction centres mm. around Ireland, they're finding that most, a, a lot, a high number of people with, with a gambling issue are also so, um, under the throes of cocaine addiction or alcohol addiction. It's never just the one. It's actually oh. quite often the three combined. So it's multi-addictions, so yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a big, it's a big part. So it's the three. So like, you know, when we're drinking or when when we're drinking, you know, the kind of defences are down. Mm. We're, more, we're more compulsive. But a person in, that might be on cocaine you know, they kind of think that they're on top of the world and mm. they're unbeatable. So then that kind of, they're probably more likely to gamble or the proficiency to gamble higher is there because they don't see that they're going to lose. They kind of feel invincible. So it ties in very much. So that'd be one part of it. ADHD has a big link as well with gambling and that compulsivity as well. Um, I would say people with, in, 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 um, in certain areas of the country as well might be more impacted because there's more gambling shops in, in certain areas, you know, gambling companies mm. go to certain areas, maybe where there's unemployment. So people who are homeless and unemployed are very much likely to, are more likely to suffer from gambling addiction or gambling problems. Um, and then I suppose, yeah, you know, people who are looking for escape or maybe having a tough time in their sure. life that maybe yeah. are suffering from mental issues, they're looking for that escape from gambling and then it provides them that. And then even now, I think, you know, a recent study from NUI Galway, um, it said, you know, quite crazily is like half the people who will who will go onto their phones and gamble will actually end up with a gambling problem but why are they using their phones to gamble and I suppose you can look at smartphones and the issues that are in society at the moment but it's trying to find connection trying to again escape or trying to meet people in that way um, which I suppose you know it's beyond just gambling the problems that are there now you know it's kind of society and how how 
how we're kind of how so different it is now compared to 20 years ago with the technology that we have that is great but also it's kind of bringing us into ourselves and kind of taking away a lot of the social side of things. For people tuned our way this morning in the Cashel area and surrounding area if, if they want to avail of help from you Eddie how can they go about that? Yeah, so there's a few means. So, like, it's not just Cashel or the surrounding area. It's all a Tipperary. So anyone, and even if you're outside the borders, that's fine and you're listening. Uh, link in if you need need help. Um, so you can catch us on Facebook page. So if you look up uh, Sparfield Family Resource Centre, you'll catch us on Facebook. You can email at ekendrick at sparfieldfrc.ie and then the two contact numbers would be 089 and then the Sparfield number is 0626362. And just to say as well, it's not like we're a counselling service for people who are who might think that they have problems gambling. We're not anti-gambling in any which way. Mm, yes. We're meeting the person where they're at, but we're also there to support the family members and loved ones of people who who might who, of, of people who are problem gamblers. So feel free to come in at, at any level. Um, but we're also hoping to, well, we are, I suppose, getting in with schools as well. So right. even if you're a person that's involved with a GA club or a community group or a youth club, we're happy to go out and have and give talks and just kind of talk about the dangers and the signs to look for for um, students go, uh, going forward. All right, we'll put all of those contact numbers up on our own social media platforms as well. Eddie, we were delighted to chat to you today, and I hope we'll talk again soon in in, in the future. But well done, uh, Sparfield Family Resource Centre. It's a wonderful centre there in Cashel, doing doing fantastic work, Eddie. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's something there for everyone. So yeah. even if you want to link in with the numbers that are on the page and you have other concerns as well, you know, we do offer other services such as family support. We do offer generalised counselling services. Um, there's a lot going on. There's a men's shed as well. So it's very much a heart of the community here in Spafford. All right. Eddie, look after yourself and thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very Eddie. much, Ben. How about you now? That's Eddie Kendrick there, a counsellor working as a gambling support worker with Spafford Family Resource Centre in Cashel. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. The Joint Committee on Public Petitions hearing to consider the petitions of more than 11,000 signatures calling for the reopening of Carrick Insurer's St. Bridget's Hospital took place yesterday in Leinster House and presentations were made by representatives of the Save St. Bridget's Hospital Action Group. Now the group highlighted it's almost three year long campaign for the reinstatement of respite and palliative care services in Carrick and Shore. Councillor David Dunn was there and he joins me now. Davy, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Good morning to the listeners. And how did it go yesterday, Davy? Well, I'm saying the other day that I was very confident going up, but it ex- exceeded my expectations yesterday. It was unbelievable. I was I was trying to control myself in the public gallery um, with the reception we got. I thought going up that we'd get a bit of confrontation from some of the government TDs because they would have been talking to the minister who was seemingly steadfast against reversing this decision. And But it was the opposite. It was unbelievable. And then Richard O'Donoghue, TD, came in, came down from upstairs. He was watching it on, on the telly and he came down and he made a, an extraordinary contribution. He spoke about Barrettstown Hospital in Limerick, mm-hmm. in his home <coughs> town. And 
Barristown was a public hospital, an old public hospital. It was turned into a private hospital by the bond secures. Now it's going to close again because they're building a new private hospital and they're looking to turn it back into a, a public hospital. Mm. As he said himself, you couldn't make it up. And he turned to the government TDs and he said, fix the problems, he said. Fix them. Don't break a system that's not broken. The, the 11,000 people, he said, were happy. Not one complaint for that hospital, he said. And you're talking about corridors, the width of corridors. He said, you couldn't walk down Limerick Hospital, he said, because their corridors on both, their trolleys on both sides of the corridor. Very good point, yeah. Yeah, it was unbelievable now, and the presentation from Barry and Susan was just exceptional. Mm. Now, a lot of work went into it. They were writing up the submission, getting all the stuff, um, the documentation. You know yourself, I spoke on trying to get reports. Yeah. It was like p- pulling hen's teeth. Um, and the last report that we got in 2020 was on was untitled, unsigned, and undated. So it wasn't a report at all. And as as Barry kept saying, if a corridor is meant to be whatever width, specify the width. Mm. Go down and measure the width of the hospital. Is it a pinch point? Is it the shoulders of the doors? None of these questions were ever answered. That's Barry Torpe, by the way, yeah. you're referencing there. And Susan yeah. Mullins, of course, was the other contributor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and oh, I mean, what happens, because a lot of it, we were trying to work out in the office earlier on, OK, you make your presentations to the petitions committee, but what happens? Is that a portal to something else, Davey? Yes. So, um, Senator Gerard Crockwell um, had to attend another meeting, so he spoke first after the opening submission, and he recommended that HICWA and HSE be called before their committee. Right. That was seconded by uh, TD Pat Buckley and there was no opposition. So now they are going to write to the HSE and HICWA to come before them to put the questions that we could not get answers to. And then they can call the minister in front of them. They can also recommend that it goes to the health committee, which Eamor Higgins and Cormac Devlin suggested that it does. So this is really the start of the fight after three years. But as I tried to explain about Barnstown, in Limerick, you never give up. This could happen to us. They could come back. And I'm very, very confident after yesterday that we will get services back. Because the trolley crisis won't get any better. It'll only get worse if they don't have step-down facilities. Yeah, I mean, it's more beds we need, not less, as Susan said in her conclusion. I mean, that is that is really what it's about, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I... I I, I think that's a line that I put into that submission. Yeah. More beds, not less beds. But it's um, it's the truest statement you can make. I mean, if you have a person on it on a chair that can't get a trolley because the, the, there's no bed, and the, so there's a way they have to wait from the chair to the trolley to get a bed, and then when they're in the bed, they can't come out of the bed because there's no step down facilities. The system is broken; it needs to be fixed. And another good point that was made yesterday. Everybody's concerned about the environment. Mm. And concrete is one of the most biggest, biggest polluters, I think, after air travel. And if you were to knock St. Bridges and build a new facility, look at the environmental damage you'd be doing to the So why not just repair it? Repair the, de- the smaller things that are wrong. They're not major things, as the lads kept saying yesterday. Yes. 
know, and I presume that. you made the point because I mean, it is. I think it's a very important. Point. I presume you made the point that the HSE were perfectly um, able and and wanting to use it as step down for COVID patients. Well, and that's the, I, I was, I, as I said, I was quite the in the gallery because everything that they said, we had a counter argument for it and yes. we had the facts to back it up. So I couldn't understand how could I go on your show today and tell you something that was completely wrong because you would just say, ah, that's not right. You know what I mean? I have a, I have a, uh, documentation to prove that that's not right. But the NHS came to write a report to fit the actual closure of the hospital. They wrote the report retrospectively. You couldn't make it up. Yeah. The the chairman, of course, of the Petitions Committee is Deputy Martin Brown uh, of your own party. What about support from other uh, TDs and Tipperary? Did they attend in the, in, in, in the public gallery? No, we, uh, Jackie Cal was exceptional. Um, Matthew McGrath couldn't make it because, unfortunately, he had to attend Carrie Atkins' funeral. funeral. Yes. Yeah, and that was because they were good friends. And, you know, Carrie is a well cousin. As I said this morning on your show, she was a character and everybody knew her. Yeah. Anybody in politics knew Carrie. I mean, she rest in peace. Um, Michael Lowry was contacted. Alan Kelly was contacted. I met Michael Lowry afterwards, uh, and I just said to him that we got on well. Um, we had no uh, reply back from Alan Kelly, so uh, maybe he was uh, tied up somewhere else. But to yeah. say that Richard Ogunho, who has no skin in the game, came and gave that amazing presentation, you know, he just, he just was really, really good. And if I, I'm going to put the link up, um, and you'll probably have the link yourselves. Um, we put up some bit last night, because for some reason, it's an hour and a, it's over an hour and a half long. Yes. It takes, there's only so much you can go up on social media at the time, but the open submission is there anybody wants to watch the first 10 minutes on it. Yeah, and it's, it's, certainly, well, it's well worth it's, watching. It's, yeah, we were looking at it this morning, Davy. It's well worth a watch, that's for sure. When yeah. are you expecting new... What The next step, Davy? Well, the ne- we're going to sit down now again as a committee, right, and go through everything that happened yesterday. There's also the intervention from Mary Butler, Minister Butler, in relation to a question that Ms. McGrath put to her on Wednesday, and she quoted for safety issues. Now, that's not true, what she said. So we have the documentation to prove that. So we're going to write to Mary Butler and ask her to correct the record of the door because the statement is inaccurate. Now, whether I don't believe that she uh, just said it. She was given that. Mm. That was the information she was given. This is not Mary Butler. And I think that's some of the problem where folks, and some people are focusing on Mary Butler. Mary Butler has a job to do. She was given and accused the fund, but a hospital task by the HSE, and she feels that she has, no, she has to defend them. And it was said on numerous occasions yesterday, the HSE should put up their hands, say we got this wrong, and re- rectify the situation. And that it takes a brave person to admit they're wrong, and I'm asking for the HSE to do that. All right. Um, before I let you go, can I get a little parochial on this? And can I talk about the county council meeting uh, the other day? Because seemingly quite a few councillors went on a bit of a roll about the media who were reporting on people in tents and saying there was uh, only one side of the story being portrayed. Now, you, you sort of stopped people from beating around the bush and said that you were actually talking about, that they were talking about uh, a Tip FM. Um, 
Why do you think, I mean, we'd be criticised for putting a story out there about a family who's in difficulty? Whatever about their backstory, Davey? No, I, I, you have to do it wrong. You have to report the story as you see it, as you got it. And that was a person, a family with young children, had a tent outside the county council What I was talking about was the Tip FM Facebook page, which he, it's a public page and people comment. Mm. And I was asking for unity among everybody because the information out there was being said, it was in the same ground. They were saying that if you were Ukrainian or if you were a refugee, you were getting a house before an Irish test. Mm. That's not correct. Can mm. you clarify that? There was no Ukrainian who were fleeing war, bombs being dropped on their heads. We have to we have to do everything we can to support them. There's no Ukrainian got a council house. Mm. They don't get half support. They don't get rent allowance. What they're being offered is rooms by citizens of Ireland who are allowing to stay so, uh, staying in halls. Uh, in hotels. And hotels and, and, and the like as well. But you see, when, when people when people get very frustrated, Davy, and you know this far better than I do, and when they see a lot of unfair things happening, and when they see people with young families on a street or in a very cold morning out there in the tent or something like that, they're naturally enough going to get angry, and people who get angry then, they'll, they'll look to, to other groupings and say, they're doing better than me. So you're dividing and conquering people. Yeah, look, I was in Dublin yesterday. I walked down the street to Dublin. I saw a person, I don't know, was it a man or a woman, lying in a freezing cold under a, a sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah. I saw another person with their two feet sticking out of a small little thing. It shocked me. And any time I see homeless people, and we have a lot of homeless people in Tipperary, but they mightn't be intense. I say to this, yeah. they might be sleeping on the couch. They might be borrowing a... Uh, Absolutely, it's 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 it's, it's hidden homeless. But blaming the media for for reporting what is obvious to everybody, I think, is a bit bit much. But there you go. Yeah, well, look. See, there's a. The last time what happened was was when we had a situation like this. The council put out a statement, and after that statement, that family got an awful lot of grief. Mm. Right, so I don't think the council wants to do. They don't. The council have a job to do. Mm. They know the backstory. They they deal with the people. They years and years of experience at this point. Mm. Their ultimate job is to protect children and families, and that's what they try to do. Right, they don't want grief coming either way on a, on a family, okay. and that's their their job is to protect children, and our job should be to protect children. I just make the one appeal to people. Just. Get your information from as many sources as possible. Because there's a lot of misinformation going on out there trying to divide the working class against the working class. The and and that's the, the problem, isn't it? And that people are being money. divided and fear yeah. is being used there as well. Exactly. Davey, I'm Don't so late for news, so I'm... I'm sorry, Frank. All, all right, Davey, good to sure, talk to you today. And thanks very much indeed. Thank you. This is Councillor Davey Dunn speaking to us. All right, we're late for news. It's on the way, though. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Gormila Mahagat Pat, uh, welcome back to Tip Today. Um, yeah, Jamie Osborne. Did we say Jason? I think we did earlier on. Apologies uh, about that. Uh, well, Fran, the government need to explain to me where we're going to go with a highly dependent special needs son. We got notice of termination of our lease on our home on the 2nd of January, where we've lived for the past 12 years, says B on to us uh, today. Um, again, uh, I'm picking up the pieces after my chat with uh, Johnny Luby. Don't forget the women, friend. It's uh, an All-Ireland Senior Munster Camogie final this Saturday at quarter past two in Borland between Cashel and uh, the Ursuline there, and we're happy to uh, put that out there as well. OK, lots of stuff. Uh, coming into us on various uh, different uh, topics as well. Um, would you tell Johnny Luby that Mark Lachnan is a thirdless man? He lived just a stone's throw from Sempa Stadium in Collins Parks as one of our listeners as well. Um, if you could uh, read out this comment, you might get the councillors to stop sitting on their hands and allocate houses to people. Uh, but you probably won't rock the boat. You're right, we don't like rocking the boat on this programme, that's for sure. Uh, 1800-938-007. Former Cashel County Councillor Tom Wood has requested an appraisal from the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly on the long-awaited development of St. Patrick's Hospital in Cashel, and Tom joins me now. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Fran, good morning to all your listeners. Uh, good to talk to you today. Tom, when I knew you were coming out, I just had a look back on our own news coverage of this, and <laughs> it's amazing. This is going on for so many years. In 2018, progress on St. Patrick's Hospital later that year. Uh, it wasn't likely to be completed before 2022. Well, we know that didn't happen. Then there was concerns raised about the unit in 2019 and conflicting reports later that year as well. And uh, then we had um, Councillor Declan Burgess on, who told us... In 2020, he was confident that the HSE would live up to their commitments to the hospital. And it goes on and on. And you're kind of tired of it at this point, aren't you? Yeah, and there's questions being asked by people locally here as well, Fran, people that are concerned for the future of the elderly, the care of the elderly here in Cashel and in the extended area. And while you go back there to around, what, 2018? 2018, yeah. I was looking at it, I was on the health forum myself in Cork when I was a a member of the county council and this was first raised about 10 years ago. Was it? And at that particular stage, because of course, as your listeners will know, the the buildings at St. Patrick's were constructed in the 1840s and of course uh, they wouldn't be deemed suited today either for residents or for staff and that was why at that particular time (coughs) it was being mooted and of course at that time as well you had all the developments and etc that were taking place and services being taken away from Our Lady's Hospital here Mm. on the green in Cashel so that's how both of the hospitals only a few hundred metres from one another uh, were debated at that particular time. Now, as you rightly said, in fact, back in in 2018, I was looking up last night in the actual Dáil Chamber, some of our local Oireachtas members uh, informed the public, as they'd been told by the HSE, that uh, it was going to open this new 60 uh, room development at St. Patrick's was going to open in 2022. 
Now, of course, here we are in 2023, and as I said, many people, especially people who would have elderly family in, in, you know, in, in care and also people who work in the services uh, are concerned that there's basically, there doesn't seem to be anything at all uh, progressing. And it's so difficult to get, as I said, we're looking for, I'm looking for an honest appraisal uh, because being told so many different things over the years that it's, it's just hard to believe anything now that we're being told. And tell so me, is the funding available? Is, is oh, yeah, we've been told from day else? one. Yeah, yeah, we've been told from day one. And even there, the last time I was talking to you about the issue, which was 12 or 18 months ago, mm. uh, the funding, we were told, was available at that stage. In fact, uh, at that time, I mentioned the Estates Department of the HSE. Uh, they had made a statement saying that the stage one design was nearly complete. Uh, the general layout, that was the general layout showing the rooms and connections to the extension. It said that currently dealing with some significant challenges on how to make productive use of the buildings, that's the existing older buildings yes. uh, from the 1840s. And as far as I'm aware, there are services inside in some of those buildings at the moment, so they are being utilised. Um, they were, of course, listed buildings, the older buildings. It also said that approval is received to progress the cost-benefit analysis as required under public spending code for projects that will cost over €20 million. Euro. And that cost-benefit analysis was to be going out to tender in the coming weeks. And, of course, here we are. We just don't see anything happening, nothing on the ground. And uh, so I've made contact with the Minister for Health and also with Minister of State Mary Butler, who has responsibility for for services for older people. And also with the Health Forum in Cork itself, because that's where the health forum for all the south and southeast uh, meet and uh, that's where I had been raising this I suppose every time I went to a meeting mm. there in five or six years it was on the agenda but um, yeah we're, we're, we want answers and we want to be told the truth what is happening because remember as well friend there's wonderful services now for the elderly in our in the former Our Lady's Hospital here on the mm. green because as you know when Covid started the the Staff and the residents from St. Patrick's were transferred for their for safety reasons mm. over to Our Ladies. But of course, Hikwa themselves, who who are registering these particular services for the elderly, they want single rooms for the elderly, and they want that was the development that was meant to take place: sixty rooms, single rooms, on the present site at St. Patrick's on the Care Road. So Hikwa gave a license to the HSE to transfer uh, the residents to Our Ladies. That licence was for three years, Fran. And that licence, as far as I'm aware, comes to an end in May or June. Yes, because now, it was April of 2020, I think, that the right, patients were, were, were moved were over. Were transferred yeah. under licence. Yes. And, but uh, naturally, HICWA, and I've been in contact with HICWA on a number of occasions, they won't close our ladies down naturally overnight but their policy still is they want to see single unit accommodation for the elderly so it has to happen and if it doesn't happen then, if it doesn't, that development doesn't take place at St. Patrick's well then what does the future hold for the increasing number of older people in our community? I don't know because step down facilities are so badly needed to relieve what's happening in our A&E's Tom. I know and this is the whole system just is. but if you could only get 
as I said, an honest answer to yeah. a question. And, if, you know, if people... And I can't understand why, with a development like this, and as I said, the funding we were told from day one was available. That funding is still there, we're told. Uh, that, that, you know, that the HSE themselves uh, at certain times wouldn't come out and give an update mm. on what the situation is. Because it, 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 it's causing concern for so many people now. And as I said, in the last week or two, Quite a number of people have made contact with me again in relation uh, to, to the matter, and that's why we're, we're airing it again at the moment. The, the project itself, Tom, how big a project is it in terms of the time it would take to get In other words, if if this kicked off tomorrow, would, like, is it a year's work? What What is it? Oh, I'd say well in advance of a year, Fran, because yeah. if you visualise St. Patrick's Hospital as it is at the moment, you know, the, you have different blocks of buildings, as I said, all constructed in the 1840s. Mm. Uh, this particular new development was envisaged to go, we'll say, between between Oliver Plunkett Park Housing Estate, where the boundary wall is there mm. at St. Patrick's, and then onto the site of St. Patrick's in that area there, linking it in then, Fran, with the... With the um, unit that's already still in operation the re, the rehab unit mm. for, where we have 21 beds at the moment a, a wonderful service that's still on Fantastic the site, service, on the ground yeah. of St. Patrick's mm. linking it into that particular development as well so that basically then when you would go in the front gate of St. Patrick's Hospital you would immediately swing left you would drive parallel with the care road and you would end up in that area where that new development would be envisaged to be. Yeah, the irony is, uh, we are looking for the single beds in St. Patrick's, but I mean, where patients are in our ladies at the moment, they're 26 bed wards, I think, aren't they? Some, they have some single rooms, they have rooms with maybe four or five beds in them, they have larger ones as well. The great thing about our ladies is, Fran, that, you know, built in the 1930s, mm. uh, opened in 1940, a very modern design for that particular time, even talking to people, residents who are in Our Ladies, who were even transferred down from St. Patrick's, the light, the views, everything. It's a totally different atmosphere. And I personally, and I think I said it to you at one stage, it's fine to have single rooms for the elderly, but mm. there are quite a number of elderly people who like company. Yes, yeah. And, you know, I myself wasn't very happy think, hearing about 60 single units, single rooms for, for, for people, because they do like company. And, and so I was hoping that you would have a combination of single rooms and then rooms that would accommodate maybe two or a maximum of three. But our, our ladies provide that service, a wonderful service. There's nobody over in our ladies today complaining that they're sharing a room with somebody. Because as I said, you have those beautiful long corridors if you want to go for a walk inside. You have the beautiful grounds outside developed when the weather is good. You have the views. You, you know, you can stand in our ladies and the views to the rock when it's floodlit and everything are just fabulous. Also, you can, you can see all the traffic on the green and that means a lot to people when they're inside looking out. Of course. And, uh, yes. Whereas in St. Patrick's, as you know, and there are many places like it around the country, because of the period when they were built in the 1840s, you know, if you were sitting in a room in St. Patrick's, I can remember working there, and you were sitting down at the side of a bed, you couldn't even see out through the window. Of course. Because the windows... Yeah. 
the and windows were so high. And you know. Sue, Tom, it's important to point out that St. Patrick's Hospital was so good to many of us in Cashel, our families, you know. It provided a wonderful, a yeah. wonderful service yeah. over, over, all the, over all the decades. Yeah. And, and, I mean, the numbers of, 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 of elderly people that, that were facilitated yeah. there over the years. I mean, I worked there, Fran, when, when we, literally the three floors in every block were occupied. I didn't know and you worked there, did you? Oh, I did, yeah, yeah, back in the... When, when I was in secondary school in Cashel, you yeah. get your holidays today and somebody would knock on the door this evening to know, can you come over <laughs> and start tomorrow? Johnny is going on holidays Very for two good, weeks. Yeah. And then I worked there later than, at other times. My aunt nursed there and my grandfather was the apothecary there for 50 years. Go on. Yeah, my up God. until 1934. But the service that was provided, and remember when even when I was working there, we had big, long corridors of rooms. There, there was 23 and 24 beds even in some of those big rooms. But people were happy, they yeah. were content, and they were well looked after. And the staff and the, and the nursing staff and all staff right across the board and the nuns, the Mercy Sisters, they, they provided a wonderful service for people at that time. And now remember, Fran, the numbers of elderly, we're getting elderly ourselves at this stage, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. number of elderly people is increasing dramatically. So there's a, going to be a bigger demand for, for, for services for the elderly. Uh, not not even in the future, but immediately. Of course, yeah. Remember the fantastic work that uh, Dr. Willie Ryan Sr. Uh, did right. there as well. He was yeah, just marvellous yeah. there as well. Uh, will yeah. you let us know when you get an answer? You ha- I presume you haven't had any correspondence back. I yet. had an acknowledgement just yeah. back from Minister of State Mary Butler. Uh, other than that, I haven't received anything from the other sources. But, I mean, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not surprised at that. But I, I'll keep at them anyway. Uh, with the help of other people and anybody listening in as well that is interested in the future of services here in Cashel for the elderly I mean if you if, if you know anybody within the HSE services even you know to make an inquiry and ask look will you tell us please what's happening Alright Tom always good to talk to you thanks and good morning You too to you. Thank thanks you. very much you know, That's a former county councillor uh, and a local community activist in Cashel Tom Wood speaking to us this morning 1800 The text on WhatsApp is 083-3 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage Puck On, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, you might remember that it was uh, David who uh, gave us the information that, uh, you know, because of the huge holdups in getting orthodontic treatment in a Tipperary, that there is the option of going over the border to get uh, services. Well, David was on to us this morning and he'd say, you swear it was for a bet, friend, but I turned on Doyle TV yesterday evening and uh, here was the Rural Alliance putting down a motion on the dental system. But during the debate, they mentioned that there were 13,000 kids waiting on orthodontic uh, treatment. Michael Lowry, uh, Verona Murphy, uh, Dennis Nocton all gave a speech on the motion along with several other TDs. They all agreed 
including the Minister for Health, uh, that the public dental system is in complete disarray and dentists are leaving the public system at an accelerated rate to the extent that Leash has no dentist taking public uh, medical card patients for a population of 90,000 people. It's a complete disgrace, as David, is Tipperary next. Well, I know that already some dentists have pulled out of that uh, particular uh, service for medical card holders. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a, a problem, I would imagine. 1800 Now, yesterday we spoke to one of our listeners, Noel, uh, regarding protests and we asked our listeners, are we slow to protest about uh, the big issues? And I'm thinking of education and uh, housing and uh, all of that uh, kind of thing. Now, Teresa joins me now. Teresa, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Uh, good to talk to you. You don't think that we're slow to protest, do you? God, no, friend, not at all. Um, I'm going back to the Henley report now when it comes to the hospital in Nina. Mm. Going back, what, 10, maybe more years ago. I mean, the Henley report was to have the 12 centres of excellence that was to be Limerick and the 12 major hospitals. Um, What makes me laugh is we're so many years on and we have nothing. You know, I mean, we marched, we had two fantastic marches there in Nina and uh, not just Nina, throughout Ireland, actually, they were going on. Um, as I said, there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians running the health service. I often say we need to bring back more like the, the health boards that we had where each area had assigned a certain quality and we had quantity. We had a fantastic hospitals. We had fantastic running. There was no nothing as bad as what we have today. Now, I know we have more people mm. on the lists and big, so forth. Bigger population as well, of course. Bigger yeah. population. Yeah. But at the same time... Mm. That centre of excellence is still not there that was promised. You know, I mean, how many times do you have to go back to plans? They're building a hospital above there for children above in Dublin. Um, Again, gone over the budget, God knows how much. Mm. I mean, and you look ahead, the ordinary nurses, doctors, and I could not compliment them enough as to what to do. Because it's there running the shows that's there, 18 hours, 16 mm. hours, whatever you and, like to And put they're, it. they're taking the flack and the frustration and the anger that people are feeling when they present themselves to A&E as well. They are, friend, yeah. and taking, taking it where they don't need it because yeah. they have emotionally and physically enough on their plates trying to make sure they had the right person for the right... You know yourself diagnosis, the right person's charts, the whole lot. I mean, that is an awful lot on a mental person's health to do it right and make sure you had it right and then if anything goes wrong, you have an accountability of it, you know? And, and you speak um, about the, the protests uh, and you, you may even have been part of them, Teresa, but are you saying to me that they just didn't work? I mean, you... you had people power out there, but it didn't work. Nobody listened. Fran, I think I was very much involved with the Handley Report and the protest back then. But what I find very strange, and maybe uh, someone from the HSC today could explain this, you have the likes of uh, Limerick, and I'll take Limerick as an example mm. there, overcrowded the whole lot. Mm. When he could come in, there wasn't a bed to be found on the corridor, were to push into the laundry, were to put out in the air, where were they? Mm. Who gave the artisticity to move them beds. Why didn't the staff or whoever said, no, let's leave it. Let's take with see what we have. Let them see how we're dealing with it. And if that's the case, right, to get a bad report. But at the moment, they've got a good report which has gone up to the doll and the government and the head fellow above sees, Jesus, what are we... uh, 
protesting for. This is good. So it's not, it's not a reality check is what you're saying to me. It's not it? a reality check. And, you know, if to tell you the truth, if I was a nurse or a doctor on that, and if someone says to me, we have them coming in in the morning, move A to B mm. or C to D, mm. to, to have it look good, to have it spotless, I'd say, hold on a minute. My job is more important. Leave them as they are. Let them see what way the state is. Because until they see it in their own eyes, HICWA or anyone else in the government will not take responsibility in the hospitals. They'll go by the good report to have. They will not take it. I'd refuse if I was a nurse or a doctor to move it. They can't fire every one of them for doing their job. Mm. I think the nursing and the behind staff, I won't say cleaning everyone, has to stand very firm when HICWA comes in and says, this is what we're dealing with. Come on, give us a good answer. You know? Why do you think, Teresa, that they're not doing that? It's a good question, friend. That's why I'd love an answer to. Mm. I genuinely, I, I can't answer that. But it is a question that has gone through my mind. We go out marching, we do everything right. Next thing, HICWA comes in, fantastic report, the hospital is clean, not overcrowded. And here we out marching, and you say to yourself, for what, you know? know? And, and Teresa, isn't it the very same, though, when, when the ministers come around the hospitals? I mean, the smell of new paint would knock you down. You know? Ah, oh, friend, will you go away? To be more disinfectant in it than you'd see yeah, in it. I know. <laughs> you know, that's wrong. Yeah. Let them come in and see the way it is. Mm. Don't be afraid. Because I think until they see the way you're dealing with it as a person, let them see the tiredness in the nurses. Mm. Because that is what is needed. They have to see the reality of it. It's like anything, friend. You have to open your eyes and see the reality before you connect to a certain have, and, and still on shows like this and on national radio, I mean, people are, are sharing their experiences, trees all of the time. So they, surely they're not deaf to that, you know? They're not, friend. But I, and I agree with you a thousand percent, Johnny, for the likes of your show there that does highlight out stuff. We'd be banjaxed, and I mean that nicely. Now, I, as I say, before Christmas, my daughter-in-law had a liver transplant. Now, I'm going to give Vincent above in Dublin the best credit that they were due. They were fantastic. Mm. Um, her few months, her few weeks, but thanks be to God, eight weeks on, she's flying it. Thank God. Oh, great! But um, at the same time, you see the nurses, the staff, they're tired. Mm. They deserve a break, you know. I mean. The, the health service executives, I think, should be going back to each area as the four sections like the health board was. Mm. And I will agree on this. The, the nuns were brilliant for the for the cleaning of the hospitals. Absolutely brilliant. And brilliant to keep it going. I think an awful lot has to be changed back to for the health to get it the way it should have been. I mean, we had a better health service back in the 70s and 80s, believe it or not, than what we have now. When you think back on it, we had. We had a hospital inside, Nina's bottles kept mm. perfect, dealt with everybody. Yeah, we had access to, to access to our GPs, Teresa. Exactly. You know, you could call a doctor, you could, yeah. Yeah, yeah and the doctor would come out. Now you get Shannon Doc if you can get through to them at times. Mm. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's gone backwards for a country that should be going forward. That's the best way I'm saying it. And with so many people that's in today... You know, you can't blame people to be cross and you can't blame people to be angry mm. when they see what they have to go through, you know. And 2023, and my God, this, the health system we have, we should be ashamed of it, along with the housing system and every other system going. This country hasn't gone forwards at all. It's gone backwards. Absolutely. And is that the general thinking? I often ask this question of people. I mean, in your circle of friends, is that the general thinking? Yes, it is. It actually is. I think I was better off 
for health, for housing, for everything. 20 years ago, I was a lot better. As you say, I got to my GP. I got to get things done. With all the technology and the modern way they have of doing everything, they haven't got the basics. They haven't got the health. They haven't got the health. They haven't got the compassion. And I think the government needs to come off of cloud nine if they're on it or wherever they are. They could be on cloud 20 and start listening to us as people because we're the ones that's going through it. And I'm going to say fair use to everyone that comes on and complains. But don't just email the HSC. Email the government health offices. Email, write to them. Write your out your grievances with them of what you had and what you haven't and let them know that you are sick and tired of the way they're dealing with the ordinary people in this communities. All right. Uh, well said and and really really good piece, Teresa. Thank you for talking to me today. Thank no you. No problem, friend. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye to you. Now, that's uh, Teresa, very eloquent this morning. I'm sure you'll agree. Now, yesterday... Uh, it was announced that Argus intends to close all of the stores and operations in the Republic of Ireland, inclusive of the store that's here in the uh, Showgrounds Shopping Centre in Clonmel. Uh, Paulina joins me now. Paulina, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you. You make a very interesting point. You said when you were a teenager, Argus was the coolest place. And I remember back in the 1980s when I was playing music, I, I was playing music a lot in the UK, and I always got a list from people to bring back stuff from Argus. It was so cool, wasn't it? It was, it was. And, you know, I was actually growing up in Ireland in 2000, so early 2000s, mid-2000s. And when I was in primary school, uh, sorry, when I was in secondary school, I remember that it was the coolest thing and everybody wanted to shop there and queue there. Uh, yeah, like you said, um, it was just the coolest thing. Now, marketing is your thing. Where did it all go wrong, do you think, Paulina? Yeah, I always think marketing is so similar to relationships. So we have to ask each other a question. How would we feel if we never saw this person again in our life? And it's the same for Argus. How would Irish people feel if they never saw Argus again? And when I ask this question to my friends, they don't care, they don't mind. So there is no attachment to the brand. Now, if you ask people what would they feel if they never saw pennies again or even done stores, mm. I'm sure people would be very upset. So it just gets, it just goes to show you that nobody, well, I'm, I wouldn't say nobody, but a, and a lot of people do not care that much about the Argus brand. Particularly that young demographic who have a few bob to spend yeah. and the like. It, it, it really hasn't travelled down through the generations, has it? Not at all. Mm. Not at all. I think Amazon got it right. A couple of other platforms as well and other uh, stores. But uh, as I said, it was a cool thing back when I was growing up. Now, when you talk to young people, they really don't care. And um, I think Argos is not just um, a, a brand left alone in that space. There are so many brands that used to have a very good position that are now is simply irrelevant. And some brands did make that transition very successfully by engaging with influencers, by having really good digital campaigns and being involved in social issues and social causes. Like, When was the last time you heard Argos on the news? I, I, I really cannot think no, about that no. myself. Yeah, nor me, even though I was shopping there, I must admit, uh, over over Christmas. But, I mean, that's a demographic thing as well, because I still like the notion of going to Argus, but uh, yes. obviously not every... You also make an interesting point. You were telling us about how important the influencers are now, Paulina, and, and their endorsement of places and products. And, all. and, of course, they're not associated with Argus at all. 
No. And if you think about it, like Generation Z, they watch nine times less TV than, than you or me would. So they stick to YouTube, they stick to platforms. And who is on the platforms? Influencers, simply. That's what they're exposed to. Um, and, you know, th they just kind of listen to these people for advice, for ideas. And it sort of also is, especially YouTube, especially Instagram, TikTok, all those videos that they're watching, it's a new indication of, of what's cool and what's not cool. So if you're not there, you're simply not cool. Yeah, I, I was listening to a piece last night, Paulina, that in the UK they're associated, is it Sainsbury's that own them and they're part of the supermarket, so to speak. And that's how they're surviving over there. But of course, that yeah. that structure is not here. That structure is not here. And also, you know, Ireland is a smaller market, but it also always made sense for brands to be here because even though being a small market, people had money to spend. The purchasing power was, was quite good in the European, you know, scene. Mm. But now uh, I'm thinking also with the crisis, also with the prices going higher, people having less disposable income, that maybe Ireland is not as hot market anymore. For, for for many brands, not just for Argos. That's what I've been thinking. But, you know, you, ne you can never be sure. Of course. Well, I mean, we saw it with uh, the likes of Debenhams as well, didn't we? That they couldn't uh, make profit here either and they, they, they headed off yeah. too. So are you saying to me for the future, Paulina, we're not an attractive market for, for some of these outlets to come to? I think for some of these outlets, yes. However... There is a platform that has a global success e-commerce platform called Shopee in Asia. And mm. they try to pump a lot of money into a European market with, you know, hundreds of millions of people uh, being the potential customers. And they failed as well. They've actually closed uh, their ship in a few, comp in a few markets uh, as well. Um, and if you think about it, it's a cool company. People know about it. They got everything right. They even had Ronaldo singing songs on their ads, and they couldn't make uh, the profit. So it's very, very hard to say. Ireland is a very good market for certain goods and certain services and a very bad market for others. Uh, pennies, for example, you know, Primark pennies, mm. it's great. It's flourishing in Ireland. They've been trying to open up shops in Central and Eastern Europe. They've been successful, but not to that extent. People don't feel that sort of huge urge to, to queue up in prim Primark or Pennies, what we saw after COVID, after they've opened up. You remember the queues that, sure, that, that, yeah. that um, people were queuing up like crazy. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that Argos is closing the ship. Uh, I didn't see many young or kind of like people with purchasing powers uh, shopping there. My dad would still buy something, yeah, but yeah. occasionally, you know. That's interesting. Paulina, lovely points there. And thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Paulina speaking to us this morning. Speaking of outlets, I was in, uh, is it Screwfix? Uh, it's a new outlet on the bypass in Clanmel yesterday. They're only open uh, two months. I went in for a few uh, bits and pieces. But two fantastic young lads uh, working there who were so helpful. And uh, I wish them the very, very best there. And I don't know if there's any management of of Screwfix listening, but you have two gems of employees there anyway. They were so courteous and helpful yesterday. All right, let me take a break. Back in a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. 
Okay, lots into us. Fran, I work in a government uh, department. I worked in an office and when the minister for our department uh, was visiting, the place would be completely tidied up, cleared out from the normal chaos that we worked in. It was all part of a show that was put on. It would make you sick, as one of our listeners. Uh, somebody else telling us that management uh, gives orders to move patients when HICWA is coming. I worked in a hospital and I saw what went on. Josephine was on to say, Fran, I hope Carrick Hospital will open again soon. I feel they would have no difficulty in getting staff as nurses who retired from the big hospitals uh, due to stress and burnout would return to a less busy and a less stressful workplace. Uh, That's one of our listeners. Somebody else saying it's doctors, nurses, porters, healthcare assistants and cleaning staff that are now running our hospitals. Another listener saying HICWA should be arriving unannounced. That's all into us on 083 311 now, yesterday we spoke to my old friend Martin Quinn, a local activist in uh, Tipperary Town and journalist, of course, for the Nationalists as well, on the upcoming closure of Wellworth's very popular uh, retail shop on the main street in uh, Tipperary Town. Well, Darren Ward of Darren Ward Jewellers in Care was in touch with us and he joins me now. Darren, good morning to you. Morning, Brian. How are you? Uh, I'm very well indeed. Darren, you, you tell us you don't normally comment on this kind of thing, but you felt a need to. Yeah, I find there's a big change in retail in the last few years, Fran. And just even myself, I've just been watching it there of the age category that's coming in mm. to the shop. And we probably don't see too many customers under the age of 25, 30. So I am just wondering if they're not going into shops, will they ever open a shop? So is am I the last generation of retailers? That's very interesting. You think it looks like it's all online, is that it? Is that it? Definitely, and look, I have family kids that age myself, and uh, there's a pat warning from DPD and Fastways and stuff like that coming into a, into our store, dropping parcels off for the kids. Now, I tell them try and buy local, mm. um, but they say, you know, everything is not available in the town, which is a pity, because Pierre is, don't get me wrong here, Pierre is a great town, we have some great stores, and, um, you know, the town looks very well. Tourism is good. Uh, there's new developments happening in the town. Um, so we have a great town. But, yes, like most towns, we just can't get everything possible. So they are going online. They're saying it's easier, like. Well, I suppose, I mean, I'm looking at what you did, Darren, to hang on to your customer base. I suppose it's that you provide services that can't be had online, like, you know, repairs or engraving or, or whatever. You you probably have to have that diversification, have you? Exactly, exactly. That's, it's things like that that you'll see opening. is um, beauticians, hairdressers, barbers, coffee shops. Things services, like yeah. Exactly, services, yeah. all service industry. There's very little retail sales opening. And to survive, now lucky enough, I, I have knowledge of, of the internet. I'm uh, fairly active myself on the internet. And we ship all over the country as well, you know, not just do local trade. Um, but now, again, local trade is fantastic for mm. us. And our customers uh, are very good. And we get them from not just care, but surrounding areas. And they're repeat customers. So when I see repeat customers coming in, I say to myself, well, maybe I'm doing something right. And as a... On my comments, I said I had my best year last year since 2008. Um, and what do you put that? What do you put that down to, Darren? <sighs> Hard work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, my shop might be open nine to five, Fran, or sorry, nine to six, but our hours are—I do 60, 70 hours a week, minimum, oh. minimum. Like so just because the doors are open, those times we have to stay back. We do repairs, we do engraving, 
meet people's deadlines. Um, now there's times there I'm sure customers are cursing me when it comes to repairs, mm. but keep up to them is very difficult, you know? Yes. Uh, because we're a dying breed. There's less and less coming into this business. It's interesting, but you, you really think you may be the last generation of, of you know, local retailers. That was my main point. I really do. I'd love to know, is there anyone under the age of 30 years of age opening a sales retail shop? Mm. Now, I'm far from 30, Fran. I, I, I turned 49 there in the last few days. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, my own kids have no interest in coming into the business. Now, I do have a young lad that's 15. Maybe he's possible. Mm. But the three daughters, they've gone down a different route. They've, you know, they've gone to college sure. and yeah. education and stuff like that. So they're definitely not coming into my business, like, you know. And I've seen it. I've seen, you know, people in our business around the country closing down. It's usually family take over. But that's not happening. So it's no surprise to you then to hear that, you know, town centres are, are dying right across the country, I guess. You know? Without a doubt. It's the small retailer that's keeping towns going. Um, like Argus is a big, big shock. It's the jobs that are lost there. If mm. those people are not earning, unfortunately, they're not spending, and that that's frightening. Are we going to hit another recession like we did? Yes. Like, as I said, I opened, I'm opened. i 30 years in business, but I opened a retail shop in 2007. So 2008 was my first full year. We know what happened after that. Mm. The recession sure. hit. Yeah. I had to reinvent myself. And you're constantly, and that's what you have to do, you have to constantly reinvent yourself to, to, to survive. And, 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 and with, big, the, with the kind of overheads that you would have, Darren, you know, like, you know, the usual thing, energy, lighting, heating, you know, the building, all, all of that sort of thing. How do you compete uh, with what's available online? Well, this is, this is the thing. We used to do a lot of brand names, brand, your Tommy Hilfiger's, your Fossils, your Guests, all these yeah. things. We couldn't. We couldn't compete. And that's what I meant when I said we had to reinvent ourselves. We had to come out of those. Because we couldn't compete. Some of these things were selling cheaper than what we were buying them for. Wow. Yeah. So it really is, it's, it's your personal touch. Um, you know, I see somebody there commented on underneath my comment that at 7 o'clock one evening I went to our home to, to uh, redo do an engraving there for um, a retirement gift, like, mm. you know. Mm. Um, the big companies won't give you that personal touch, like. And again, they're, they're that personal great customer, so you look after them. you got to look after your customers when you have them. And as I said, that's why we probably have repeat business, you know. We look after our customers. Everyone is special, whether it's a battery in a watch or a diamond ring, everyone is is. And is there still the tradition, Darren, I mean, I couldn't see a a couple getting engaged and buying stuff online. I mean, is there that tradition of the couple going into the jeweller shop still there? Yeah, that's, you know, the, the engagement ring business is still alive and well, but they have a lot of research done. They have a lot of research done. They, to compare they, the prices, is it? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. And uh, there's a new thing on the market called lab-grown diamonds, which is becoming bigger. They're a fraction of the price of the um, what's nearly known as conflict diamonds now, like, you know, that are coming out of mines and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. lab-grown diamonds. So, you know, every, again, you've got to keep up with these things, you know? Wow. You've got to keep up with these things. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely changed. As I said, my main point really on that was, is there anyone under the age of 30? If they're not going into shops, I can't see them ever opening a shop. Yeah, and do you know, I hadn't thought about that until you said it. And and come to think of it, I don't know of any really. Now, I do know of a couple of young lads who started off a very successful coffee outlet. But maybe that's a different thing because that's, that's for that younger demographic, I suppose. 
Yeah, that no, they, like coffee, as I said, coffee shops, barber shops, all those, they're all things. You can't buy a cup of coffee online, as far as mm. I know you can't anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that wouldn't surprise me if that's possible either. Even though I think that market is flooded, I really believe that that coffee market is flooded. Yeah, and I'm not sure will they survive, you know? Yeah, our public houses are closing and our, our coffee shops are open, so that will tell you what, what, what the next generation is drinking. Coffee is more so than, uh, than your pints and meat and, you know. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, that's like retail. I'd love to know, is there someone just doing sales? Right, well, now, let's put it out there, Darren. I mean, yeah. are there any young people out there starting out in business, in uh, like a retail business? Are you opening a shop, whether it's a, a clothes shop or a, a, a jeweller shop or whatever? Shop. We'd, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, 083 311 We'd be happy to give some some advertising to them as well, you can be sure. Exactly, um, yeah. T- tell me a little bit about fashion in, in jewellery. What, what's fashionable at the moment, Darren? Yeah, so the jewellery business have really changed over the years. And, you know, it's a lot of it now is costume jewellery and stuff like that. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, they buy some that piece for 30, 40 euro that it goes with this outfit and forget about it. But we are finding a turnaround back to yellow gold again. So the old traditional stuff is coming back. But gold price has gone expensive. Unfortunately, you know, gold does go up in times of trouble yes. in, the, yes. in the world. Like. It's, it's the go-to investment when you're in trouble, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, now, as I said, you know, these the, the diamonds, these lab-grown diamonds, they're detailing. Like, the watch industry is something that we found that just changed so dramatically over the years. Like, it's now your Fitbits and your smartwatches. Yeah. And, you know, that's something we don't know a lot about because they're computers. They're not watches. Like, and Now, in saying that, we are finding a little bit of a turn back to your old analogue watch. Are you? Because uh, I don't know of any young lad now in particular that wears a watch, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, we, we found a good friend with those at Christmas now, the analogue watch. And they're yeah. more born, uh, sorry, both born, so like, but as a fashion statement, um, it's like a woman buying a handbag. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, fellas are buying watches, you know, that look, look the part. I don't know, did they even teach how to read the time in school anymore? <laughs> Because <laughs> it's all digital, there's these smartwatches and stuff like that, like, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. You see, some of these uh, big influencers now, these guys online, they're flashing these uh, expensive watches. So maybe that's where it's coming from. Maybe, definitely, you never know. Definitely. Look, we have, we have a particular brand there that there is an influencer online, and um, that is what is driving the customer to this brand, is influencers. God, how it's all changed in, yeah. in a relatively short time, Darren, you know. Well, and you've got to just keep, as I said, reinventing yourself. Instead of lucky enough, I'm fairly active on my social media, websites. Um, you know, every little sale, every little job that comes in, all helps to keep the doors open. But am I working? I was hoping to work on and leaving this to one of my, yeah. one of my kids or of something course. like that. But yeah. You know, it doesn't. I just can't see them coming into this business. Well, Darren, it was great to talk to you today. Darren Ward, jewellers in care, great place to to go if jewellery is your thing, or indeed lots of other options there as well. Good to talk to you, Darren. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. You now, Darren Ward. There, news is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on, you can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or Slattery's Garage. Ie. Tip today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today and welcome back to our Friday panel. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Carrie-Anne Lorden, uh, who is Managing Director of Red PR. Uh, Noel Buckley is with us, former secondary school teacher, and Liam Brown has joined us as well. Liam is a community activist, so you're all very welcome, and thank you for, for coming in to us today. Morning. Can we start with the big political story, I suppose, that's right across uh, the newspapers today, the Irish Indo telling us that Public Expenditure Minister uh, Pascal Donoghue is fighting for his political life as new revelations about his relationship with the businessman Michael Stone pile on further pressure. Now this uh, carries on from his uh, um, uh, speech to the Doyle a couple of day- days ago where he ref- refused to take questions and uh, the like and was much uh, critiqued over that as well. Noel, can I start with you? How severely damaged is Pascal Donoghue, do you think? Or would we wait until Tuesday to make that? Uh, well, he has, he has made the first mistake. He's drip-feeding the information. Uh, the oldest trick in the book is if you have to admit something, put it all on the table. Fitzgerald as Minister for Justice fell that way. Mm. Albert Reynolds fell that way. New revelations yeah. coming. So then people begin to get suspicious. Are you hiding more? Are you hiding more? And it just shows the need for serious reform of the doll watchdog. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have teeth. They have, a dog. Yeah. they have a dog there, but they don't have teeth to bite and to check uh, and Pascal is a wily politician, I don't think he'll be gone that easily, very skillful politician, but it does I suppose it's the old story, it has always been there and I suppose the big worry the public have always is, you know, the power of lobby groups mm. and this, you know, shows as, as uh, what was the socialist politician Higgins said about Paddy the Plaster mm. and, and, and so on, so there's always that danger that people worry, but is Joe Public out there up in arms over this? No, I think this well, is political theatre. That, that was in my notes because, yeah. I mean, Joe Public, as you say, w- w- would probably be a lot more... Joe um, Public is worried about the hospitals housing and, and, and the housing education and, the housing and, 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 that, and, yeah. and climate change and education. Yeah. They're the big ones that Joe Public is worried about right. and they're looking at these politicians here um, scoring off each other and, and it's great, that, it's great political theatre. It's is, great political theatre. Is that what it is? It's, it's well, I think theory. the question always have to be asked, you know, where did your funding come from? Yes. And especially a Minister for Finance, I'd imagine uh, Pascal as a Minister was careful enough mm. always to make sure, but many is the politician that has fallen. Well, you mentioned Albert Reynolds, yeah. he said it's the small things. It's the small it's, things. It's the small things. So, yeah. Carry on, what are you making of all of this controversy? Yeah, look, at, I think it's just a great waste of time. Mm. Do you yeah. know um, we're a week into being back after the long yeah. holiday that yeah. they've enjoyed and it's dominated every paper, every media outlet, it's dominating social media and it's taking up so much time Mm. when the waiting lists are still there, when the housing Mm. crisis is still prevalent and you know electricity bills are hitting people at the moment there are a lot more issues at the moment that need time that they need um, a spotlight and they need active engagement Um, I think the way it was handled was really badly Mm. done um, by the time he speaks on Tuesday, it'll be going on for yes. nine days, Obviously, you know, mm. and uh, that's that's nine days. Well, for for a very experienced done. politician to decide, I mean, it was arrogant to say, no, I'm not going to take questions. I mean, did he not realise that that was going to cause a storm? 
Well, look, it's it's crazy. You know, you, you in hindsight, you can see how that was always going to create mm. a, a vacuum. Mm. And where there's a vacuum, there's always a need to fill it. I sure. think the question mark is originally over 2016, the goalposts seem to be moving slightly now towards 2020. And I guess he's probably going to wait and see what comes out over the weekend before he makes mm. his comments on Tuesday. Um, but the level of outrage and the political theatre that Noel speaks about, you know, I don't think that's really... Um, um, to the forefront of people's minds mm. in, a, in, mm. in, a, in everyday life. Um, but look, it, it's an interesting time and as the Thonish just says, I'll, I'll wait and see what he has to say on All Tuesday. Right. Liam, what, what do you make of it so far in as much as we know, I suppose only what he told us uh, the other day, yeah? It's a, it's a very strange story, Frank. Uh. Uh, very strange. And when it broke last Sunday, I was kind of wondering what the hell is going on here because I've filled in those forms. I've helped people fill those forms and I've had them filled in for myself. Would you just explain them a little bit yeah, to us? It, it's it post-election that you fill in the yeah, form, when, isn't it? You know, when, when an election is called, and this is a funny one, because it only takes into account spending once an election has been called. So an election can be called between 21 and 28 days. It's, you have an amount of spending which you can spend in that time period. And it's 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 fixed, depending on the size of the mm. constituency, three, four, five seats. Now you must put all your election expenses inside in that t- three to four week period onto a form, and you send that form to SIPO. Uh, then it's just basically anybody can look at it; it's a public document. The thing that seems to have happened here is that there was money spent that wasn't declared. Mm. Now it was a thousand euro, and I don't mean to sound flippant. But in the context of an overall election, that's a very, very small amount of money. It's Mm -hmm. peanuts. Mm -hmm. I'll be absolutely honest with you. I've seen politicians spend that at a bar after an election. Mm. Uh, But Pascal O'Donoghue brought this into the public himself. There was no opposition asking about this last week. Suddenly, out of no place, he called a press conference and at five o'clock on a Sunday evening, brought in... The well, he must have press. known it was going to come up because this, this is crumbling on since 2016, this, this, isn't this it? Is, this is why I'm saying, this is why yeah. I find it strange. Yeah. Nobody was asking him questions about this. He brought this into the public himself mm. at five o'clock on a Sunday evening. He made a statement. Then on Monday morning, he clarified the statement and changed what he'd said Sunday evening. Mm. Then on Tuesday afternoon something else happened. He said the posters were put up at night time. And mm. people might think, what's the difference between day and night? There is actually a difference. If stuff is put up at night time, it's regarded as volunteerism. Mm. It's put mm. up during the day, it's a corporate mm. spending. And then there's a different amount you're allowed to spend. So he changed the story again on Tuesday. He then came into the doll on Wednesday, he made a statement, mm. but he wouldn't answer questions. And then yesterday evening himself, he said he wants to make a second statement to mm. the doll next week. Now, Mark So Twain, what are you reading into that? What I'm reading into is there's more behind it. And I don't think it's the donation is the problem. I think the problem is, is, is there something that maybe the person who made the donation to him got for it? Or mm. may, may look like right, he got so for it. So something else you think has emerged. So something else has emerged. Now, right. as Mark Twain said, you know, if you tell the truth, you only tell one story. Right. So far, we've heard four stories, mm. and there's another part of the story coming. Right. Into and me. before I go back to the others, can I can I just mention maybe what could be seen as hypocrisy when you think that Sinn Fein had that issue with with the polling company that they, that, that they had to repair the damage of Absolutely. that after two years. But you see, here's the difference in that in that because what we're saying is is when all these stories come out, there seems to be a sort of what about what about Ray? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. we did this, but you did that. Yeah. If you were to say there was a difference. The only difference was, was apparently Pascal O'Donoghue was told in 2017, which is five years ago, that he had made a mistake on his declaration. And he didn't change it. Right. Last November, he was asked about it again. And he, and he said, that there's nothing to see here. 
So he has been asked yes. about this. There's also no this notion that was it done for Fine Gael or was it done specifically for Pascal O'Donoghue? Mm, yeah, Donoghue. there is, yeah. 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 And as is, as both the previous uh, contributors pointed out, it's the drip feed. Mm. And um, I suppose we'll have to wait till Tuesday to see where yes. where that is going to lead. But if he doesn't tidy it up on Tuesday... Right. Well, I, I think what his problem is on Tuesday is this. Mm. If he made a, a mistake on the account, you say, OK, that was silly, you should have you should have changed it. His problem is he's already made a statement to the doll on Wednesday. Mm. Mm. If he now changes what he said to the doll next Tuesday, well, then he's going to be accused of misleading the doll. And then I think he's in big trouble. Yeah, and what I can't understand, he's been on the programme several times, Cammy, and he's one of the Very ones that dealer. I would yeah. have to prepare yeah. and prepare and prepare because he's mm-hmm. extremely good at what he, he does. So, uh, therefore, I can't understand how he got himself embroiled in such a stupid mess. I know. Well, don't be deceived by the dimples, you know. He looks, <laughs> he looks so yes, he is very, He's very charming He is as well. very yeah. charming, yeah. you know, yeah. but he's a very, very powerful politician. Oh, for sure. And um, even on the European group, mm, you know, yeah. like, that that's a massive position yes. for our country. I think it's important to note as well in terms of the reaction by others. Mm. You know, there hasn't been a call for a resignation. There mm. hasn't been any, no. you know, mooching yeah. of a, vote, a, a motion of mm. no confidence or anything of the sort. And just, I, I just looked at some stats. 2019 and 2020, the combined donations uh, declared to SIPO between all the, the government parties running was 328,000. And the spend on the 2020 election was 7.3 million. Wow. So, you know, when you take that into account, I suppose Mm. he without, you know... you know, uh, an issue can't really kind of start yeah. throwing stones across mm. the room. And I think people are very, very careful at the moment to, you know, do a level of this outrage and let him slip himself up, I suppose, is kind of what they're hoping for. Absolutely. Well, the other yeah. part of it as well, in his, in his statement last Sunday, he said that he, oh, he had made a mistake, that CPO were now um, investigating the error. And he was going to recuse himself from any business to do with CEPA. Because they've, his department has jurisdiction over But CEPA. that's the yeah. problem. Yeah. So we now have a senior minister in charge of CEPA, in charge of legislation for tighter controls on mm. how money is spent by government parties, saying that he's not going to get involved in it. And I, that's yeah. not really tenable, you know. Is this... I mean, is really coming to the forefront for with this. Yeah. The Labour Party back in, I think, was it 2015, 15, I think, yeah. to, uh, attempted to, to mm. put a bill forward to, yeah. to, to give them and some teeth. And there's more legislation and coming as well, but it's, well, it's supposed, the, to supposed to come. Yeah. That is the problem. Is that really what the problem that is? That is the problem. They don't have teeth like that. If, if you had a if you had a regulatory body uh, um, with teeth, they'd have yes. pulled that up. And, and will you just explain it? No, they they can't investigate themselves. They have to be complained too. Is that the way yeah. it works? Yeah, they have yeah. to be complained too. So as far can, as I understand, they can't it, yeah. take up something and investigate it. No, like no, no. Okay. They 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 don't have the, like an investigative journalist it, yeah. can find something and start chasing yes. it. But uh, I think there has to be an official complaint lodged to them. But I still come back to Joe and. Mora or whoever on the street uh, they're probably screaming when they listen to this political debate saying, feck lads, there's bigger issues out here. I'm amazed even at the opposition given the crisis we've had all over Christmas with the hospital trolleys and so on that they aren't making hay of that but I suppose the job of any opposition is to try and attack the government and hit them where you can. I think at the moment there's a smell of blood in the water. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, like I said, it'll come oh, down to Tuesday. The what a big fish to But that, that's what I'm saying. That, yeah. He's a very, very big fish to, to, to reel in if you can get them. But 
Yeah. You see, Joe Public doesn't really care about, I don't think they care about the, the, the mistake in the declaration. Mm. What they care about is the fact that that mistake is causing this constant drip feed. Mm-hmm. And yes. there's this feeling, well, he must be guilty of something. I know he, he may be guilty of nothing. Of course, and there is that association with business again, yeah. Carrie Ann, that comes up all of the time, isn't there? Absolutely, you know, state-awarded contracts yeah. and the like. And yeah. as well, you know, how it became, how this whole issue came on Sippo's radar was an mm. investigative mm. journalist, um, Liam Deegan, mm. um, made the complaint in the first instance. And he was the guy that kind of, you know, um, unraveled Irish water and yes. site serve and all mm. of that. So it's 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 a, an interesting one in that mm. sense, you you know, mm. um, but and is there also whispers that okay, this was Michael Stone and his association with Pascal in 2016, but that there could have been an association in 2020 as well? Is that is that part? Yeah, of Yeah, well, look at if you're looking at Twitter and the likes in the last mm. couple of days, you know, he was at his wedding. It's yeah. become really personal, you That's know. Real cozy. Yeah. Uh, it is real cozy, but mm. you know, at the end of the day, um, it will come out in the wash. I think he'll 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 do the right thing on Tuesday. He'll make his statement. He's going to have six minutes by each opposition party. To to have a proper question and answers about it. And I'd say at that point, he'll hope to draw a proverbial line under right. it. Right. And, and look into your crystal ball for me. Do you think it will go away then? I I think he's I think he's a cute I think he's very cute. I think he's been around a long time. I think that um you know the mistake here was the drip feed uh, the slow burn of the story. Um and I think that what he will do is he'll be very accurate and very thorough on Tuesday and put it to bed. Right. Um that's my understanding of it. Right. Well, what about Look I? Into your crystal ball. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with Carrie-Ann. I think he's a wily politician. He's mm. lots of experience. As you say, he's a very capable media handler. Yeah. But then again, uh, I think of Albert Rinnell's uh, statement, the small things will trip you up. Yeah. So hopefully it won't. But what it, what it may raise is, uh, you know, uh, politicians may regret uh, chasing Pascal Donoghue because uh, people will start well, to look at other thing, politicians. I'd say yeah. there's a lot of, them, lot of them looking at what they've declared on that form and double checking I'd at this stage. So, yeah. But more, it, more importantly sorry, though, no, yes. more importantly I think and mm. we see we see the, the the whole problem in the in the states with it. The whole power of lobby groups to control decision making in government. Mm. We're under the illusion very often, the ordinary Joe soap voter, that, you know, we hold power over mm. them. It's the lobby groups hold power over politicians. And uh, as Carrie Ann highlighted we need investigative journalists. They're the ones that uncover the ties and connections. And sadly, the level of investigative journalism due to papers cutting back has decreased. Yes. Uh, and, and due to litigation. And due course. to litigation yeah, and all this. But we need them now more than ever yeah. because big business has a vested interest in controlling politicians. Would it surprise you to know, Liam, that I'm just looking at the screen in front of me and we were talking about what people care about. But funny enough, what's coming up time and time again here now is the notion of the awarding of contracts to certain yeah, people. That's, see, that's the yeah, see, that's the thing. That's why I said I found it strange. I didn't I didn't think there was, there was any huge outrage about the fact that somebody gave somebody a thousand euro in a, in a donation. It happens. We know that happens in elections. Yes. The problem is, is, is there something for that thousand euro? Because if you want to just mention side serve a minute ago, let's go back to the, 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 the telephone licence when that was given out. You know, a telephone licence was sold by the state for 15 million euro and in two years it was resold again for 2 billion euro. Yeah. And then it turned out that the person who, who was awarded that licence seemed to be a very good donor of a particular party who were in government at the time. Yeah, this is the so. problem. It's the, it's the contracts. If that person got 10 million euro yeah. in contracts 
for a thousand again, euro donation. Screen, it's that that really that's, annoys. That's what annoys people daylight, because so that's what actually yeah, costs yeah. people. You know, people actually that that costs people money. We mightn't see it. In, in pounds, shillings and pence in our pockets day yes. by day. But it does cost All people right. money, so that's the problem. All right, let me take a break. We'll be back with our panel in just a moment. It's 11.20 right now. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to our Friday panel and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Liam Brown is with us, Carrie-Anne Lorden and uh, Noel Buckley with us as well. And again, I just want to sum up quite a lot of the text that's uh, coming in. Seemingly, it's not the amount of money either. It's mm. just the accountability mm. and that's that's mm. what's coming up time and time again from our listeners as well. Okay, moving on then. A lack of GPs could hinder efforts to expand free GP care to all according to findings from the ESRI. Now, the study found that providing free GP GP access to all citizens in 2026 would cost the state between 381 million and 881 million, which is like an incredible um, uh, difference there. I, I'm, I'm sure you would agree. Now, currently, free GP care is offered to young children and medical card holders. Uh, Carrie Ann, can I start with you where this is concerned? I mean, we don't have enough GPs. The GPs that we have, the, you know, queues are out the door for them. I mean, is this feasible at all? 2026 free no, GP care? No, to, to, you know, to put it simply, it's totally and utterly irrational. Mm. It's not possible. Um, you know, at the moment, there's wait lists. I don't know, have you tried to get into a GP yeah, lately? Yeah. But it's, um, it, they're out the doors and um, all, it all it would do, I suppose, apart from the fact that feasibly, from a financial perspective, it's, it's not doable. The people aren't there to do it. But also you'd have a lot of people presenting with aches and pains. Like, I pay for my GP, you know. I don't go often and when I do, I bring a list, you mm, know. Mm. Now, would I go more regularly? Perhaps mm. I would. If it was you free. Know, if yeah. it was free. And that's the reality for people. Um, I must say, I welcome the under sevens, you mm. know, absolutely. Yeah, and the free GP care for the over 70s is, is, is mm. fantastic. Even well, that hasn't really come about yet. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, but like you know, I, I I see the point in that. But the reality is, is that the the, the middle ground, you know, mm. I think any you know half the population will have free GP care access mm. it, essentially, whether they fall into medical the cards and, and medical yeah, cards. Yeah. yeah. So you know, at the end of the day, if we don't have the manpower to put it in place. Mm. What are we doing talking about this? Mm, yeah, know? and such a spectrum of money as well. Some, the estimated... Now, I know it would be very hard to estimate, but somewhere between 381 million and 881 uh, a million. Liam, what, what about your thoughts? I mean, we probably should have free GP care, but I mean, is, is it a pipe dream? Well, we should have free everything, I suppose. Yeah. You know, if you asked, if you asked anybody what they, they want to pay for anything, they'd say no, they didn't. Right. But they do it in other countries. They yeah. do it in other countries. Yeah. We should have a better system than we have now. Uh, now, the biggest problem, as Carrie has just alluded to there, is first of all, if you brought it in the morning, it simply couldn't work mm. because we don't have the doctors for it. Now, we're talking about 2026. I don't I don't know there's going to be that much change in the amount of doctors in the country in three years. Doubt it. What you have got to do is you've got to look at the census figures now and the census figures from 10 years ago and project forward for 10 or 15 years and say, if we're going to bring this in, we're going to need all these extra amount of doctors. 
to do that, then you've got to put in the training places, you've got to put in the infrastructure. Like, I, and I, a way to keep them here. A way really. to keep them here. That's, that's what I was going to come on yeah. to next. What we have in this country is we have an ageing doctor population, mm. not just an ageing population, ageing doctor population mm. who are going to go out of the system in a relatively short amount of time while seemingly an awful lot of our young doctors are leaving the system. Mm. So I don't know where we're going to be in, in, in 10, 15 years' time. But like I've often said here, that's the problem with politics here is we don't see beyond the next electoral cycle when we should be getting ready for mm. it. Now, on the free GP care, what I want to say is something that Carrie just alluded to. There's an awful lot of people listening to us now, either in work or at home, who shouldn't be in work because they're sick. And the reason they're not they're not going to a doctor is because they can't afford it. And that's a big problem. And there's a, there is a certain amount of um, annoyance that certain people can go to a doctor two, three, four times a week because they have a medical card and yet there's people who, who are genuinely sick who are afraid of their life of going to a doctor because they simply can't afford 60 euro, 70 euro, if you can get into the doctor, as Carrie said in the first so, place. So uh, is this the squeezed middle that Carrie Absolutely the squeezed yeah. middle. Uh, it really annoys me that people who are ordinary working people who are earning maybe four to 500 euro a week, that's more than a tenth of their, you know, a tenth of their whole weekly net income. I remember once going to a doctor when I was earning 99 euro a week and it was €105 Euro between the doctor and the medicine. It was over a whole week's wages. So I think we've got to find a way where people who need to go to a doctor, maybe two or three free visits a year, mm. not completely free, because if you have a completely free system, you, it does get abused. Anything that's completely free tends to get abused. Of course it does, yeah. So, first of all, get rid of the system we have now and give people who are working a chance to go to a doctor if they're, if they're genuinely ill. Mm. And I think COVID has really shown that up, where, where employers are saying, we don't want you in the job if you're ill, because you're going to make other people sick and you're going to take out of half course, a work yeah. group. Uh, Noel, one of the points the listener made to me yesterday was that we need to find a way to keep the doctors and nurses mm. in the country for a certain amount of time mm. and maybe some form of obligation on them if yeah. they get to get... Well, to we have... Um, if you listen to over the last three or four weeks, we have a crisis now in our public services, our, our key public services, education, yeah. medicine. The Gardaí even yesterday can't keep uh, people along yeah. the way. So there's a massive crisis uh, coming down with an increased population. Uh, and I, I know in some... And an older population. An older population. Yeah. I know in some jurisdiction, jurisdictions, um, for instance, if you qualify as a doctor you have to give six, seven mm. years mm. In, the con- in that country because their argument is they've invested in the training. Of you. And it's very costly. Training, yeah. Yeah, it's very yeah. costly to, uh, to provide uh, qualified doctors. Here in this country, once you're qualified, you can trip off and people should have the right to travel. But I think the same as if companies invest in your train, they'll often get you the contract that you will mm. commit for so many years afterwards because they're putting in an investment. Mm. I think that needs to happen. I know I know in France, for instance, if you qualify as a teacher, um, you can be assigned a school anywhere in France for your first five years. Well, uh, even though you years. might be from Paris, you might be assigned down to the south of France or whatever because there is a need there. Mm. So we need to look at that type of thing. Um, yeah, but that's why I, I was surprised to hear yeah. the interim head of the HSE come out and say uh, we shouldn't need to force people; we should encourage them. No, I, but I, you I, see, you have, you have the other problem. That, uh, one of the key people in the HSE who who came from a business world and who was into IT, who went in and committed to the um, the top management job mm. there, resigned during the week. Mm. And I listened to his interview, and basically he can't drag. It, the reason he resigned, he got so frustrated in the end. 
couldn't drag the HSE into the 21st century in terms of technology. I mean, we have a lot of people, as he said, going to the doctor who have ongoing problems that can be monitored by technology mm-hmm. from home mm-hmm. and can the doctor can say we need to increase or bring down that medication or rebalance it and so on. They're the ones that are very often the chronic ill that are often queuing up uh, yes. in long waiting lists, totally inhumane, uh, not good for health either, being in that type of an environment and so on. So our, our problem is, everybody talks about reforming the HSE. If you were designing the HSE from start, you wouldn't design it the way it's structured currently, and there's so many vested interest groups. And I think you need to start looking at what I call the preventative medicine. We Mm. always deal with what I call the crisis when you're having the heart attack, Mm. Mm -hmm. when you're obese and so on. But we need to be working at ensuring people don't get into a healthy state. And there's there's an interesting book, it's part of the TILDA study, written called Age Proof. People do not necessarily need to be ill uh, in their 30s, 40s. There will always be the few who will get cancer and whatever. But it's lifestyle is generating a lot of the illness. Diabetes is one classic example. So are you saying to me it's a holistic view we need on, we need a on holistic, everything? We need a holistic view, but also in terms... I'd agree with our two previous contributors in terms of... I wouldn't be giving free medical care to everyone. Certainly young parents with young kids, it can be very challenging. They have a lot of costs. I'd certainly, it's great it's being provided for them. I also think patients that are seriously ill, that need ongoing cancer care, maybe heart. Yeah. There's a number of serious mm. illnesses that way where the ongoing, I think they deserve a medical card. But if you're mm. well-to-do, middle-class um, income, um, why not pay for the service or pay some token towards it? Don't give it absolutely free. And we're great at pointing out other countries like Denmark, the Nordic countries in particular, mm. you have free this, free that. Mm. But I worked there and you pay high taxes. But in fairness, you get the quality yeah, get of the life quality of and service services. For, yeah. In Ireland, we want low taxes and that level of service. The two mm. don't square. But, but, okay. but you see, the other thing there is is the preventive men- medicine. I wanted to kind of say that. I didn't get around to it at the time, but now Noel has mentioned it. If you can keep people out of hospitals, that's what we yes. want to do. Yes. Keep them out. Yeah. And you can keep them out because, we, as someone said, Ireland, is the best, Ireland has the best health service in the world. If you have a heart attack and drop yourself at, at an A&E, you'll always be looked after. But you should never have to get to the heart attack in the A&E if that could have been sorted out possibly years beforehand. And like I said, we need a system where people who are going to work who cannot afford to pay €60, but don't really need to be in work if they're sick. And we also need a system where people who are not sick, and some people, and I'm telling you, it's known, people go to a doctor for a chat. Just finally, before we leave this, Carrie Ann, as a business person yourself, can you believe the situation where computer systems can't read each other where the HSE is concerned? And they're still, like, writing on charts. and Mm. It's it's archaic, really, you know. The the, the whole system is is bonkers. The communication levels, you know. um, Like, it's it's only now that when you go to the GP, the the letter is sent Mm. to, the script is sent to the chemist or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. A simple thing. Thing. Yeah. But like, how long did that take to come about? But for me, the obvious one here is there wasn't a history of waiting lists for mm. GPs mm. until now. Mm. That's mm. a pretty new phenomenon. Mm. Yes. And here we are with all mm. our time investment talking about all the issues in, in the HSE. And this is where but we're Fran, at. We're, yeah. we're great in this country at a political level of making announcements we're going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to have so many electric cars by 2030. Mm. But we don't think beforehand what's the infrastructure that needs yeah. to be put in course, place yeah, to make that happen. But Shantikar is an example of that. We're six years into Shantikar now. Where's the, yeah, ab- where are the results? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we knew 
15 years ago we were going to have an ageing population. Yeah. We knew 10 years ago we were going to have this amount of extra people. Yes. How many extra... The, the population has increased by about a million people in, in 10, 15 right. years. That means we should have an extra five, six... Yeah, but Noel, it takes very, very Where brave leaders to, to give us the, the bad the, news. The problem, yeah, to yeah, give yeah, us the problem, the problem in our news. political system it's the five-year cycle. Yeah. 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 And it's yeah. too short a cycle. Mm. But it, uh, this is where leadership comes in mm. as a politician, being willing to sacrifice your political life to make a good decision. I mean, I, in fairness, to me, Hall Martin, when he was Minister for Health, when he banned smoking. I mean, I remember even local politicians mm. here on this local radio station giving mm-hmm. him fear stick who were of his own party. Mm-hmm. And the same with Dempsey when he introduced yeah. the plastic bag levy. So I wish we had more courageous politicians. Of course, he did say, introduce the HSE. Pardon? <laughs> he did. I know. He did. The, the structure, but um, yeah. at least he has one thing to his credit. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there <laughs> yeah. you go. All right, then. Are we slow to protest about the big issues? This is a, a topic that came up when it comes to health, housing, education. As a nation, are we slow to get out on the streets? And, as Teresa said to me earlier on this morning, is it effective even if you do? Uh, Liam, do you want to take that? Uh, are we natural protesters? I don't think we're like the French like that. We have to be... We're, we're not. No, we're not like the French. Sometimes I think we should be like the French, but we're yeah. not. Um, we're not even like the Irish of the 70s. If you look at reading in the years, and you go back to the 60s and 70s, those massive farming protests yeah. and... Student protests. Student protests. Our yeah. students, I have two in college, I don't think. One of them was a protest on last month and she just saw it as a day off of college life. She didn't yeah. even go in. It was maybe... the sit-ins? A couple of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you go back to the farmers. Farmers used to be able to close this country down and about 10 years ago, they arrived into Dublin to the... To the, to the the round about the Newlands Cross there, yeah. and the guard said, well, only 10 of you can go in. So they said, okay, fair enough, and 10 of them went in. And I think that broke their back on them. What I do think we have, protest-wise, we have social media. Mm. We have an awful lot of keyboard warriors, and I think people equate protest with social. writing complaints on social media. But we also do have, an I, I do think we have um, a kind of a quietness, a, a quiet angriness in people that mm. will come out at election time. So I think there's an awful lot of very angry people out there who they're never going to pick up a placard and go marching and chanting down the street. Uh, but they may hit people in the ballot box. And and, and still, uh, like, what is it now, 15 years ago or so, I remember the, the, the action in, in town, in Clonmel Town, mm-hmm. to save the hospital. Mm. That was Thousands of people got and that was effective. It know? was, yeah. And I remember a couple of years ago, the, um, the anti-water protests yeah, in Cashel. Yeah. And you see, certain things will rally... Uh, cross-party support. Yeah. Like generally what you find now is you, you find an awful lot of protests in Dublin will be either run by people before profit or they'll be run by Sinn Féin or they'll run by the Anti-Austerity mm-hmm. Alliance. And then people who may not be affiliated to those particular parties won't go out and protest with yes. them. Yeah. But when you have something like your local hospital closing down or you have it's, water it's protests, party, it's cross-party yeah. and you'll get... A, there was an anti-war protest in Dublin, I think it was the last really big one, 100,000 people came out to it. Then you'll get people out on the street. I think the fact that now we have social media... That stops people coming out in the street as much as they did, unless you have a big cross-party protest. We had them in Cashel with the roads when they, when they weren't going to put in the bypass in sure. Rose Green. And, and years so I, ago, I think we started. Our ladies' hospital it, and the like as well. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's a pity. It's a pity sometimes because I do think people power has a place in a democracy. Now, you you will get politicians who say, "Oh, people power is mob rule." 
No, yeah. it's not really. I think I think it's it's good and healthy for democracy every now and again. Well, I suppose the for people is to get what, out. What on the has street. happened in Dublin, Kerry, and to some degree, where you you have people power, but then it can be infiltrated. Yeah, maybe yeah, by in, in that case by far right groups and so. Do, are, are we natural protesters? Are we? Do you know, I think we are. I think there's a legacy yeah. there. I think um, what what um, Liam has said is is very true. I think we I think we do protest, but I don't think we do it very well in terms of the follow up thereafter. Mm. I think that if you protest, you know, you create a lot of noise, but you need to go to you know decision makers mm. with solutions as well as problems. There needs to be active listening. There needs to be communication. There needs to be engagement. And what tends to happen is a lot of people stand you know stand join forces, raise the placards do the protest but then there aren't these little working groups to, to set up to try and it's that cross party type thing and as well as you know people who were invested in the causes getting involved in you know proper debate proper conversation negotiations to create change you know and there are lunatics in the mix you know there are people that will attach themselves to these and 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 they undermine mm-hmm. i suppose the yes. overall effectiveness of the protest yeah, because i thought in dublin ordinary people had a point but of course the fact that it was uh, overtaken mm-hmm. by vested interests it, it it diluted that point yeah, and would you you know if, if you were a bit uh, vulnerable would you go and protest even if you felt strongly for fear that mm. that uh, element might and turn you'd be up confused with that and absolutely you know that, that's yeah. a real concern for people I'm yeah. sure no protest protest yeah I suppose the French are the models of protest uh, yeah. and that's from the revolution of 1789 yeah. they, they'll bring the country they'll to bring a standstill stand yeah. you see it with the pension age at the moment yeah. in France Macron yeah. has problems on his hands uh, going back to Liam's point I remember in the 80s and 70s being out in protest yeah. read uh, tax, tax and yeah. uh, teachers um, wages and so on but what I noticed and I, I was a union rep for 30, 30 years and I noticed what I called lots of people in staff rooms would sit complaining about mm-hmm. the impact and their work conditions. They wouldn't, as you said, turn up to meetings mm-hmm. to air their views. Whereas in the early days, when I was a young teacher back in the 80s, if there was an issue, uh, we used to have our meetings over in Kearney's Hotel in Cashel. You could hardly get in the door mm-hmm. uh, with people making their presence felt to the leadership at the top table and saying, listen here. Uh, you take action or else. Uh, that isn't happening now. Well, even, why? Even though people may be burning about the issue mm. over coffee breaks in workplaces and staff rooms, it's not translating out to... I'll give you an example. I was sitting in a group here in Clonmel before Christmas. Two groups, actually. Both two groups, the topic of conversation came up about the state of this town at Clonmel, that it's in decline in terms of its main streets and the works. People angry about it, have a long association with the town, some of them from a business background. But the conversations are happening in what I call the private sphere, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not the public sphere. Whereas in the 80s in that, you had that public stage. The best example I saw of people taking their power back was down in Fermi. If you remember the right-wing group and um, immigrants were brought to the old convent there, came out and highlighted they didn't want them, this, that and the other. And the people of Fermi came out the following Saturday and said, get lost, this is our town. That's that's not us. And that's not us. And and we should never underestimate uh, people power. My daughter attended the last protest about the housing in Dublin and like Liam said she wouldn't have attended it was our first protest Mm, mm. and I encouraged her to go I said if your generation doesn't 
make their presence felt on the street. But she was shocked at the few that turned out. And I think you now have the added problem that the far right is watching for every yeah. opportunity mm. to highlight that. But uh, another aspect of protest probably that has gone on that is much quieter and that politicians do take heed of, if, and I would say to any group out there that have an issue... Go to your politician's clinic if enough of people are knocking mm-hmm. at the door and saying this they, is they an issue for me, they will take. All right, let me let me take another break. We'll be right back with the panel. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email Tip Today at tipfm.com. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to our Friday panel. Noel Buckley is with us, Carrie-Anne Lorden and Liam Brown as well. Now let us move on because once, indeed, the beating heart of Irish uh, tourism, the traditional B&B seems to be disappearing from many small towns and tourist hotspots as well. There's been an 80% decline, can you believe, in the number of B&Bs in Ireland in the last two decades or so. Well, John G. O'Dwyer, Chair of Tipperary Tourism in Lavit, uh, Hillwalker and the like, he brought this up on the programme uh, during the week. He's calling for some government support to be made available for more B&Bs because he says it would greatly help the walking tourism industry in the country. Carrie Ann, can I start with you where that is concerned? Um B and B's. Um were you an avid sort of fan of B and B's or no, uh, I suppose I'm 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 of a generation whereby you know the B and Bs had declined quite mm. a bit before we started going out and about and yes. having a few quid to go on holiday. Because hotels you know? became more accessible. They, I suppose, they and, did, uh, they did, and um, you know Airbnb came yeah. on the scene as well. And I suppose the culture of where B and Bs came from as well, you know, is is worth noting here. Oftentimes it was uh, the the woman of the house who didn't have outside income mm. coming in used it as a way to put some you know yes. uh, p- pennies in the bank you know and for, um, she, for college and she was at home as she well, was at home she? the yeah. kids had left the nest the rooms were empty and it was you know and I suppose over time we now as women are, are we're working you know yes. um, we, we don't we barely have the time to make the breakfast sure. at home in our own houses let alone for others so I think that there's an element of that cultural shift and people retiring out of it mm. that's that's an obvious one as well as Airbnbs mm. coming on Stream. Did we get a bit snobby as well, do you think, Carrie Ann? Like, was... I don't know, you know, the staycations were really pushed last yeah. year. You know, if you've been locked up for two years and you're let out and you have a few quid in the bank, you know, are you going to run to a and b or are you going to stay in a nice hotel and book a few treatments mm. for yourself? I know where I'd be going. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, at, I think they do they do serve a purpose. The Kate made a false welcome mm. that, you know, those coming to the country might like to experience will get in a and b like they'll get nowhere else you know come into my home you're very welcome this is it here's a traditionally cooked breakfast that type of thing uh, whether we need more of them, I'm not so sure. Um, there was a survey done uh, by B&Bs Ireland that said 77% of the B&Bs in Ireland are confident or very confident about business in 2023 and 74% of them anticipating greater bookings than they right. had last year. So there's, you know, there's yeah. less of them, but the appetite is there and they're... they're Noel, you, you, you're a walker and a, and a trekker yeah. and the like. Do you take John's point that oh, more, more B&Bs 
trees would be very well, helpful. Well, if you look now at the moment, there is thankfully after years, I was using it myself for years as a teacher to St. Declan's Walk. Yes. It's now growing in popularity. It has huge potential to be the Camino of Ireland. Mm. And your big problem as a walker, I did some of the Camino this year myself, or last year, and the beauty of it was you knew you could get accommodation anywhere along the way. Uh, you could get food anywhere along the way. If you're walking the St. Declan's Walk, you really have to pre-plan. And can you get B&B military. type uh, you can, accommodation yeah, in, yeah. In, on, yeah. on the Camino? Yeah. yeah, it's set up. So, you know, like we need to generate uh, that what I call casual accommodation. A lot of walkers like the contact with the local people. Yes. And interesting, I'll tell you an interesting scale. Um, a friend of mine from Kerry, actually, who had built a house, wanted to move back to Kerry, was working in Dublin. Yes. But the move was going to take two years so he said rather than having it lying idle he'd rented out he didn't want permanent tenants in it because if, if a move, move opportunity came he wanted to be able to move pretty quickly but his father was living nearby it so through social media he advertised it and uh, initially got a few takers he told them collect the key off his father this was pre-Airbnb and so on and they collected but what he noticed was he was getting a lot of repeat business and when he dug down a little deeper he found what people loved where they were meeting his father. His father was telling them where were the local places to go, this, that and the other, the characters, the great pubs or whatever. Now, probably social media is doing that, but often that's the sort of a, a plastic culture mm. so rather it's than the personal, real life. that personal, that personal storytelling. Touch. And he has actually and set up a company now that specialises in putting uh, you in, and, and I think it's even growing internationally, of putting you in accommodation where you're going to have contact with the local people. Yeah. Now, I could see, Liam, some people might like that. Personally, I would hate that. I like the anonymity of, you know, you go to your room and, yeah. uh, you know. But Cashel was full of B&Bs yeah. at one stage. It was, yeah. There was loads in there. Um, you're dragging up a memory here. I was a member of a county council tourism um, committee, and I'd say it's the best part of 20 years ago now at a meeting in Carrick and Shore, and we were discussing the decline of the B&Bs and what we could do at that time to bring back the B&Bs and I was probably Carrie's age now, I was then and I was explaining to the older politicians in the room that young people simply had no interest in B&Bs we simply didn't um, at the time, as you said, the anonymity of a hotel room, mm. not just the anonymity it was the, the handiness of it I had explained to them, this was a meeting in March, I had explained to them that I had been able to book a hotel, book a soccer game ticket, book a, a golf course, all online, and they were amazed. They, they were still really locked into almost the 1950s version of the B&B and the ban on tea coming out. Mm. I don't think anybody under 30 wants to go to a B&B where they'll be told, you know, we'd prefer if you were in before okay. half 11 at night or having so to meet is, the lady in the morning. So is this a non-runner as far as uh, No, I, I, I think... Um, what Noel has said in certain parts of the country yes. which are off the beaten track when you're doing the, the, the Declan's Walk that's yeah. out more to Cashel or there's a lot more uh, yes. walks but would you be up. better with a hostel type of situation yeah. there Noel I mean that, you must have that experience well I, I think I think you see it's the old story don't put all your eggs in the one basket I, yes. think, we, yeah. I think we need the hostels we need the Airbnbs yeah. we need the hotels I'll tell you as hotel prices go up mm. and as they become less available due to trying to handle our yeah. refugee but, crisis but, people may start but Kerry Ann's point is interesting it was the woman of the house the balance oh, yeah. that yeah. managed that and, yeah. and that's not like that I had a cousin of mine owned an Airbnb or a bed and breakfast in Cashel mm -hmm. did a fantastic yeah. business mm -hmm. in it. But as she said, 
somebody had to be there all the oh, time. Yeah, yeah they're brilliant ones. Even a simple time, if they're at a relative's funeral, yeah. there's a line somebody it, to be there. If you go back, and I was listening as I was on the way up here this morning to Darren Ward in, in, yeah. in care, talking about his business, it's just a, a different type of business nowadays. The accommodation business, it's like the jewellery business, like the retail business. Yeah. We're just doing it online. We're just thinking a different way of doing it. As you say, like yeah. we're, it's, it's anonymous. You know, you don't have to meet a shop seller to sell you a dress or a pair of shoes anymore. You don't have to meet the Ben and T. Mm. Of course. We have about five minutes left and it's something that I really, really want to do because um, I'm wondering, should we be more proactive where checking in on neighbours is concerned? I mean, this comes, I mean, I know it's an extreme case, but the mm. discovery of the man's body in, in, in Mallow this week, I mean, he, mm. he was there for about 20 years as it turns out and stuff. Carrie Ann, are, are, we, are we interacting with our neighbours anymore? I mean, do we... No, well, COVID has been funny as well. We couldn't even interact if we wanted to. But, you know, um, we moved house, ironically, where we moved house two years ago since September and to a new area. So all our neighbours are new neighbours per se. And straight away, the first thing I did was get the kids involved in under fives GAA in the local club, right? Mm -hmm. It did two things. It got them mixing with other kids that they might meet in school. Mm -hmm. It got me on the sidelines meeting other Mm -hmm. people as well. And I think that was really, really important. The local pub, the local shop, you know, all of those things are important, but they're they're closing as well, mm. you know. Um, but I think that, you know, walking up and down our road, you get to meet the neighbours. Mm. Um, ironically, when we moved in, I was only there about 24 hours and there was a ring at the bell and uh, the neighbours from across the road with freshly made buns coming in. There were boxes everywhere, right? And I said, take us as you find us, in you come and I'll find a cup. And we sat down for about three hours chatting. And the Barrett's from across the road, they're absolutely fabulous Mm. people. They have our numbers, we have theirs. If there's, you know, any concern, any, you know, any behaviour that Mm. you're a bit unsure about, a strange car, whatnot, and made a point also of going up the road and meeting the other neighbour, introducing ourselves. So it's still there to some extent a neighbourliness I think rurally well, I, yeah. lived, I lived in Nace for a while and you know we were in a housing estate in Nace and we didn't know the other people that's, that's next door and yeah, like yeah. we could hear them through the wall yeah. but yes, we didn't know them Yes Noel how, how Yeah well I'll give this? you an example I moved into Biltower House in Marlfield in 1996 I was very fortunate at that time there was a shop in Marlfield mm. and also the, the the Church of Ireland Church the Catholics used to use it once a month so we used to go to Mass there but that's what became the social contact in terms of you went down to the shop you're only getting the basics maybe milk or whatever but you were being introduced to people meeting people the same walking up from the church you were meeting people so the opportunity for connecting has decreased with the closure of post office the closure of the local shops in traditional times out the country the creamery as well and so on so the big challenge in the 21st century is to create opportunities for connecting even Fran in your own uh, area of music and Mm. so on if you think back to the 70s and 80s people went to the local pub there was a ballot session the works now they're rare and far between whereas they were in every crossroads pub at one time so people had opportunities and as Carrie Ann said probably the GAA club now and the sports groups Mm. are probably the only potential point of connection for a newbie coming into the area. But I think we can all be good neighbours. I think if you want to have a nice neighbourhood, 
uh, that's, that's stop complaining do, and yeah. be a good neighbour you, you, you brought up uh, social media in an earlier discussion, Liam, and I mean, the isolation of social media really yeah. is also very destructive, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. I mean, I've nothing against social media. I use it quite a lot, but I've got some friends on social media who I chat with and I've never met them in real life. Yeah. And I often wonder if you did, would they think you're the same person? Um, I had, my neighbours are beginning to get older. Um, one of my very good neighbours passed away there 12 months ago last November. But the house was sold and the new neighbours have moved in for the past month and I still haven't met them yet. Yeah. Now I'm waiting to go in to meet them. I'm hearing a lot of Take banging. The cakes and buns I'm hearing a lot of banging. So I'm, 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 letting, I'm letting, them, letting them finish their, what they're doing and then mm. go in along. But I grew up in a housing estate in, in Cashel and I loved it. And mm. I think when you grow up in a built-up mm. area and there's loads of kids around the place and you can go in and out to places that... We isolate ourselves, you know, yeah. we'd be very surprised. We isolate ourselves an awful lot more nowadays than mm. we used to, I think. And it's, it's very easy to look yeah. back and can I rose tinted glasses. Can I give you an example here sure. of, of the power of neighbours to empower each other? Mm. I know one group of neighbours here, they're in, there's 15 of them in a cul-de-sac and they arrange once a month to meet in the local yeah. hotel for a cup of tea and sandwiches. And have a night out. What a great idea. And like that's within the power of any group of neighbours to say. And it, uh, all it takes is one, the power of one to stand up and say, listen, let's get together. In Marlfield there, the village committee that uh, I work with, we decided mm. after Christmas, we wouldn't try to do it before Christmas, we got together for a bit of grub over yeah. Raheen House. And so we had what, a great what, night what, of what chat. I loved it. By the way, were, were, were the buns and cakes were the nice? Delicious. <laughs> I said, come back anytime. Yeah. Yeah. It's the greatest right. welcome you can give to Absolutely a new neighbour. All right, there, there we must leave. It's a fantastic panel, uh, Carrie-Anne and uh, Nolan. Liam, thank you so much for being with yeah. us uh, today. That's it for me. Emma produced Ali Looks After Our Content. Stephen is on the way. And I will talk to you on Monday. Bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.